2: Hi, welcome to Horror vs. Reality. I'm your host, Anastasia, as always, and Morgan is with me as per usual. And today, our special guests are Mike and Mike of the Mondo Boys. Hi, guys.
0: What's up? Yeah. Thanks for having us, you guys. Yeah,
2: we're so happy that you guys agreed to come on.
0: <laughs> it's actually a great excuse to watch The Night of the Hunter too. So it's it true. Be fun to like. I want to get your take on everything with it, but yeah, it was. It's like a fun excuse to do that. So thank you again. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Our mission is to make people watch fun horror movies and some not so fun ones too. <laughs> yeah, there's been some really bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. This one wasn't um, too bad. No, I love this movie. And it's act this movie is actually I can't remember, I think it was a British publication, but a British publication voted it as the second greatest movie of all time behind Citizen Kane. So
0: Wow. That is high praise. Yeah, wow. that's Hardly. really high praise. Isn't the same cinematographer? I think. Is it real? I think I think that's possibly true. Oh. It's possible.
2: I believe that is correct.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay.
3: They're a big fan.
0: Well that's yeah.
3: that's probably higher than we would rate it, but <laughs> yeah.
2: Nice. It's not yeah. without some pacing flaws, but I have a very warm place in my heart for this film. I discovered it a long time ago when I was a teenager.
4: Okay, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, like, okay, so I'm just gonna, I've told this story on the podcast before, just because this is not the first time this movie has come up. It's just the first time it's had its own episode, but, (laughs) so when I was 13 or 14, I used to play soccer with this girl, and she invited me to spend the night one night, and she spent hours on the phone with some guy, and I'm just kind of offended. Like, uh, I didn't come over here to listen to you flirt with some dude on the phone all night. Yeah, hang out with me. Right? So I wander into the kitchen and just start Gabbing with her mom, which is not uncommon for me. Like some of my friends, I literally hung out with them and hung way with their parents. <laughs> kind of, kind of. Like I hung out way more with their parents than them. Yeah. Um. Yep. You know, yep. I'm an old soul. Okay. Anyway, but so we got onto the topic of film. And I, you know, was expressing my love for horror movies, and she's like, "I have to show you Night of the Hunter," and she had like a VHS copy of it and popped it on. And eventually, my friend came in and was like, "What are you guys doing?" <laughs>
0: And was she talking to an old, creepy Southern preacher?
2: Hopefully. Uh, No, she was talking to this icky guy named Chris. And that's That's really all you need to know. (laughs) Icky Chris.
3: On his knuckles?
2: Uh, (laughs) Love and hate. Nah, he was really preppy. Like a yuppie. He he gave off serious yuppie vibes. At 13? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He like popped his collar and wore a lot of, um, like, Lacoste. So, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Really really serious yuppie vibes all right okay so morgan thoughts yeah i liked it yeah liked it. like uh, with its
5: classic feel and everything i like how like the storyline like i don't know i mean i love the story it's based after the book but and like... then the book is based on harry powell i mean yeah. powers Harry powers, powers? yeah yeah, harry yeah powers. it's harry powers they just changed his name the... in the yeah book they changed the yeah yeah <laughs> Have you, they, guys, have
3: you guys read the book? I no. have not. Okay, I, have I, not. I was just wondering. Okay, so we read
0: it, so we're experts, <laughs> not. No, just kidding. We didn't. I'm,
3: <laughs> I'm just curious. Was I don't know if it was a big famous book or if it was just something that was chosen to be adapted.
2: So it was a kind of big novel at for its time. Like when it yeah. came out, it was well read. A lot of people like had it on lists and stuff. Got. And yeah. um, book
5: of the year or something.
2: Something like that, but I mean there's so many different books of the year you know what I'm saying I don't think it was like it wasn't like like a New York Times bestseller like yeah it it wasn't that
0: (laughs) it was Appalachian Weekly's book of the year
4: (laughs) maybe I mean
0: and the movie was not exactly well loved at at the moment right it didn't do great
2: no it bombed so poorly Like, um, it did so poorly that Lawton really, there were other things, and we'll talk about it, that went into him not directing ever again, but part of it was because this movie did so poorly and was so not well-received
0: yeah okay that is a really interesting part of it my like so i've never seen it before and i i it was more mixed to me than i thought it would be i mean mm-hmm. i think that it, it 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 wins you over with some things i mean music wise it really it really was pretty much a classic i mean it's yeah, great yeah it's great music i i think and and there are things in the movie that they they pull off and it hits these big wins but especially the kind of the first quarter was a lot more mixed than i thought it would be but, but it maybe was even great even the
3: first half
0: okay yeah, yeah. well when the yeah when the kids start running maybe is when it you kind of yeah anyway yeah. it has brilliant things but you know it is a classic movie but it's kind of cool to see that it's just like for a movie to 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 get something so right and get a little bit of magic and greatness mm-hmm. If you just get it in a few spots, I think that it carries it to some, something transcendent, and I think that that did happen with this one, personally. Yeah,
2: Abs- yeah, absolutely. And I mean, with the performances of Mitchum and Shelley Winters, like I feel like they really carry it in a lot of ways. But the children do really well too in their roles.
3: Yeah, the children kind of blew me away more than uh, Robert Mitchum. I, I just
0: feel the like the main boy did so. Yeah, did yeah. he to do with great stuff. Is that? Like- uh,
2: I will actually get into that because. Um, we always go through a little like mini biography of every actor in the film. Okay, yeah. So uh, we'll actually dig into that right now so we can so we little can answer stevie your question
0: queen little stevie mcqueen <laughs> or Actually, little gosling. he's kind of right <laughs> yeah he
3: is he is pretty gosling <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's fair it's in the, the flare of the nostrils
4: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it was.
2: all right so our director charles lawton he was an english american actor uh he trained at the royal academy of the dramatic arts in london and he first professionally appeared on the stage in 1926. He played a wide range of characters both like in the classical sense and modern sense. He played in a lot of Shakespeare films and he eventually made the leap from Broadway to Hollywood where he collaborated with Alexander Gorda on notable British films of the era including The Private Lives of Henry VIII for which he won the Academy Award for Best Actor for his portrayal of the title character. Now like I said, Charles Lawton, this was the only film he ever directed, because he was primarily an actor. He just really believed in this story and was like, this is a good thing. This will be great as the first thing I direct. And first and last. (laughs) But at least he made a splash for his only film.
0: I wonder what was going on as far as in the industry, if people really appreciated it. I mean... It's funny because it, what you're describing is a little bit like Orson Welles, coming from the acting world, kind of just hand-selecting something to do as a movie, and then, I mean, I don't know about the, the initial success. I know Orson Welles had a hard time making other movies, like, for his entire career, I think. And it, I wonder <laughs> I wonder if there was a great love for this movie, you know, like, within more of the L.A. world or something like that. I'm just curious.
2: Well, here's the thing. It bombed at the box office, but it and it got, like, mixed reviews. There were people who who... who gave it really favorable reviews. And then just like because it bombed and it was mixed, the unfavorable reviews really left a stain on it for a lot of years. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to get into Robert Mitchum now. As as we know, he played Reverend Harry Powell in the film, and he is an, well, was an American actor who rose to prominence with the Academy Award nomination for the Best Supporting Actor for The Story of G.I. Joe from 1945. Uh, His career followed with lots of film noirs. He was always kind of a rugged anti-hero type in the 50s and 60s. He's best known for 30 Seconds Over Tokyo from 1944, River of No Return from 54, Night of the Hunter, 55, Cape Fear from 1962, El Dorado from 1966, and Ryan's Daughters from 1970. He's also known for his television role as the U.S. Navy Captain Victor Pug Henry in the epic miniseries The Winds of the War from 1983 and its sequel War and Remembrance from 1988. Mitchum is rated number 23 on the AFI's list of the greatest male stars of classic American cinema.
0: Okay, so I just remembered this. Yeah. I, I did a um, trip down to Ireland, and um, it was for a wedding, and we stayed in Dingle, Ireland, and there was a bed and breakfast there that uh, makes a big deal of Robert Mitchum, because he no. went there for Ryan's daughter. He went; They went to Dingle, and they shot there. No way. And um, Robert Mitchum set up shop. He offered someone a lot of money to just like have their house for a couple months, <laughs> and, 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 and he ordered a ton of Shiva's uh, scotch to go <laughs> Down there, and like it's just a bunch of things. Like to this day, he like affected that community, and just like now they have a bunch of she- like something weird. Like they have a bunch of Shivas now, or something. And like and and um, oh. so I got this whole weird little side history of of Mitchum, and I didn't real I didn't put together that like all right, he he's he's that guy. I was kind of thinking, I guess in my mind that like Mitchum in in this movie, he he's almost like um like a like a like a Rat Pack guy or something. Right. He just kind of seems like vibe. you know like who was the Rat Pack guy in Rio Bravo? It was like, but he just seemed like kind of like one, one of those guys. And, yeah. um, it's a, tr- it's a, tr- it's cool to hear his, his actual history. I had a fake history in my mind.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Kind of. Uh, interestingly enough, he is very or was very like devil may care about his whole career. He was always just like, what? Acting's not hard. <laughs> and he he never really made. He wasn't very full of himself in that way. Do you know what I'm saying? He didn't really fit in with the Rat Pack in that regard because they were all kind of egomaniacs a little bit. Sure, yeah. <laughs> was,
0: so what year was Cape Fear again? Did you say 62?
2: 62, I think.
0: 62. yes. Must have been a reaction reaction. this right i mean this would have been his reel for that movie i think right
2: absolutely that got him that role
0: all right that's cool were there any like awards and stuff for this movie or no it was just kind of
2: well because it's in the horror genre and it was the 50s completely snubbed.
0: okay got it got it got it yeah
2: you know it wasn't until the exorcist that horror started getting any attention by the academy and it was even then it was really sparse you know
0: And that would probably include Cape Fear as well? There there were just no exceptions, really? Here and
2: there, but, yeah. I don't think... I don't uh, don't quote me, <laughs> but I don't think Cape Fear okay. won that many accolades at the time.
0: Is yeah. that a true story? Is that one you guys have covered?
2: Uh, Cape Fear is a work of fiction,
0: I believe. Okay. okay. Well,
2: because I, I wish.
0: <laughs> mean, and you know, we'll get into this, but it's interesting how this one is like to what degree it's fiction and what degree it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, and and you'll hear all about it in the second yeah. half. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sorry.
2: Yeah. All right. So let's get into Shelley Winters. She plays Willa Harper in the film. I've talked about Winters before in our grand uh Gran Bellino episode where uh she plays an Italian female serial killer.
3: Mm. Oh
2: yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's so intriguing. what's that?
3: That's very intriguing.
2: I highly recommend it. We had a blast watching it. It also has Max von Sydow in it. And it's, yeah, it's a really interesting little hidden gem of a film. Um, (laughs) It's really. (laughs) Yeah. Grand Boleto something else. It is, but it's good. It is good.
0: good. She's such a famous name. What is her, what is her big thing? Shelley Winters, we know from something. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. So she won Academy Awards for her role in The Diary of Anne Frank in 1959 a patch of blue from 65. A Place in the Sun from 51 and the Poseidon Adventure in 1979. Hmm. Well, she the last two were just nominations. She didn't win for those. Okay. Um, she also played famously Lolita's mother in Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of Vladimir Nabokov's novel Lolita. That's
3: Interesting. Great. That's great.
2: Yes. And I've talked about that before, but I have a lot of love for both the movie and the book, despite the subject matter. Sure. <laughs> and she also played Roseanne's grandma on Roseanne for like 10 episodes in the 90s. <laughs> Even, which is so insulting. And I said that the last time I brought up Shelly Winters, but she's only 32 years older than Roseanne. So not really old enough to be a grandma. How True. old, by
0: the way, so how can we do some math? How old was she in the night of the Hunter? Like her. her...
2: So she was 35 at the time of this film.
0: Okay. okay all right. But you know, she's got an interesting um, little bit of an old lady look.
2: She does. She she does. does. Even when she's young, she looks yeah. yeah. kind of old. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> the hair. About that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, maybe if it was in, we saw her in color more, it would change that to some.
3: Yep,
0: yeah, that makes sense. But it does play into her, you know, grieving widow perfectly. Mm-hmm. She, she, it's, it's an interesting casting choice, to be honest. She's like that. She, that could have been a role that went to, you know, a number of different people that kind of bring something different. But that was a pretty interesting, like, soulful, sad yeah. version of that, a version of that character.
2: Yeah. Uh, Robert Mitchum had no faith in her and they fought throughout the filming of this. Oh wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> they did not get along at all. Not even a little bit.
0: <laughs> it's just interesting and, and yeah, so that's Poet Lawton, right? That that had the vision for her. And it's yeah, you could you could see that character being like some kind of starlet being a widow and her I don't know, just a different version of that's it. kinda of cool that they went with Shelley Winters there.
3: Yeah, I think having a different yeah. kind of casting choice there would have made for a different feeling when she gets taken advantage of by the preacher. You know, yeah, maybe it taken. helps
0: yeah. maybe it helps us understand her, her sadness and Vulnerability yeah. at that time.
3: Yeah,
2: true. Sure. She does play really sympathetic. I'll give her that. Yeah. Alright, so let's get into Lillian Gish, who plays Rachel Cooper. So Gish is a legend. You know, she started acting in silent films in 1912. She had right. a career Yeah, she had a career that spanned 75 years. And she is considered to be, if not the greatest, at least one of the greatest stars of the silent era. Um, she was in films such as D.W. Griffith's The Birth of a Nation, Broken Blossoms, Way Down East, Lawrence Boheme, The Wind, and with the advent of talkies, uh, she continued her career with films like Duel, In the Sun, which earned her an Oscar nomination, Night of the Hunter, Portrait of Jenny, and Sweet Liberty. Um, in her waning years, she dedicated much of her time to preserving silent film, uh, you know, the thing that made her a star. Uh, fantastic actress as she was, her personal life was not without controversy. She was a member of the anti-interventionist group during World War II that was led by Charles Lindbergh. Lindbergh may not, may be most well known for aviation and his kidnapped child, but uh, he was also really into eugenics. Oh. He was, yeah, he was a racist Wasn't Nazi, Nazi? sympathizer. Yeah, he was a racist Nazi sympathizer. No there, I said
0: it. And she was in, she was in League. Yeah,
2: she was friends with him. She okay. was in wow.
0: yeah, that, yeah, This would have been like 10 years after that. Was she kind of like blacklisted and, and all that? A yeah. little
2: bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so um, the Smack Pumpkins' first album is named after Gish. Oh, right. interesting. Yeah, yeah. And Billy Corgan explained in an interview that his grandma lived in a really small town, and one of the most exciting things to happen there was when Lily and Gish passed their town on the train. <laughs> and <laughs> and that that's like why... a boring ass
0: down.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's why he named Baker, the album that.
0: <laughs> I'm from Bakersfield, and one time at the, we went to the airport to see Michael Dukakis go through the airport. <laughs> <laughs> he did stop. He kind of waved from his airplane and flew on out.
3: But imagine the train version where they're like waving their hanky at the window
2: <laughs> <laughs> and because of the time period you'd know it was like that
3: <laughs>
0: awesome wow
2: uh, okay amazing. so she made the
0: transition from silent era into talkies which is she did not easy that's, for a lot of
3: people
2: well yeah because a lot of silent film stars especially like young starlets would often have like upsetting voices that people yeah. really didn't uh, like and yeah.
0: they, they, they say that about um about uh the, the, the great classic like not Charlie Chaplin um awesome awesome like silent era stunt guy um oh i'm just kind of blanking but yeah oh but he no, here's, he yeah really, me too he had a really deep um really deep voice and, and it was hard for him to, to to keep going but he was huge for silent era and there, there's that scene in um sunset boulevard where she's playing cards with a bunch of people at her house and they have a bunch of silent era people who were oh, crazy who were a little bit relics by the time the 50s came around yeah because yeah most people weren't able to transition oh
2: was it buster keaton yeah, that's buster. who i was trying to think of
0: <laughs> yeah and so he's in sunset boulevard um they're playing Cards together. Okay. And it was all people that, I think the idea is that it was all people that basically didn't make the transition because, mm-hmm. you know, she's from a whole different era. And they, yeah. Anyway, that's cool that, that this lady, I mean, she was great. She is great in it. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
5: Too bad she's a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> was, was kind of. <laughs> was a Nazi.
0: She yeah. liked them. Yeah. She
2: was a Nazi <laughs> sympathizer. Oh, so, one more interesting thing that about that her. but
0: some pretty good points. You know? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, one more thing about her before we move on to Billy Chapin. So, so, I discovered in my research that her name is Scottish rhyming slang for urinating. Whoa! An oh. example in Jesus Scottish... Christ, Sorry. Yeah. An example in Scottish media occurs in the sitcom Still Game, where the character Winston Ingram states, I'm a wafer, Lillian Gish. Meaning he was taking away your pissing.
0: No way. Wow. Yep. Awesome.
2: yep. So that's fun. <laughs> I'll have to use it. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm going to try it out. <laughs> okay. So Billy Chapin plays John Harper. He was a child actor just in the 40s and 50s. Uh, he's perhaps best remembered for his role as Christy Cooper in The Kid from Left and as John Harper in this film, Night of a Hunter. Charles Lawton praised. Chapin's acting ability, especially for the strength of his innate ability to understand the construction of a scene, its impact, and its importance. Chapin went on to serve as a Marine before attending college, and his sister Lauren states in her biography that Chapin developed various addictions in his 20s and 30s before settling down. Unfortunately, Billy died in 2016 from a long battle with lung cancer.
0: He was still with us for a long time, and so he, he, he didn't seem to make the transition between child actor to, to a No. Adult. He found
2: Fell into the trapping that a lot of child actors do, and he just fell off the face of the earth and got bad off on drugs for a while.
0: Yeah, various addictions. Well, hopefully yeah. he had a good couple of years with the drugs. That hopefully yeah. he had fun <laughs> for a, a little bit. <laughs>
2: So Sally Jane Bruce plays Pearl Harper. Sally Jane is best known for her role as Sally in this film, but she was a seasoned child actor at the ripe age of five, having appeared in small roles on TV and film. Lawton told Davis Grubb, the author of the book Night of the Hunter, that he found Sally Jane to be a, quote, repulsive little insensitive pie-faced teacher's pet, which is exactly why he cast her in the role of Pearl. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Uh, So post night of the hunter, she went on to teach elementary school in Santa Maria, California, until she retired.
0: So she really was a teacher's
2: pet and became a
0: teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. She was like kind of an interesting presence. Well, she was an interesting.
3: I I feel like they probably cast her to make the boy more present in the in the scenes, highlight the boy. Yeah, because she's kind of just there a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Um, She's She's never. Yeah, she's young and she's not like really careful now.
0: Well, yeah. No, I know. Yeah, she's just like. She's like, yeah, anyway. She's, she was kinda like <laughs> the weird. focus
3: is on the boy. He's like
0: really She's a little bit creepy, actually. She was creepy. She,
3: yeah. It's she almost... reminded me of a doll.
2: Yeah. She Her? she does have a doll like face. I um, she is still technically a pivotal character because of a possession of hers, which we'll get into when we get into the summary.
0: I'll, I'll say this: a great part of of her performance here was was the singing. I mean, like, so she. I think so that's not. It's not her. her. Well, there I is. was
2: gonna say I don't want to ruin this for you, but it's not her.
0: Who uh, was just some <laughs> so for, for
3: that? What I a heard. Session was,
2: musician. Okay.
3: Yeah, it's an adult trying to sound like okay. a kid. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes
4: yeah. sense. A good now they, yeah.
2: they did get her to sing originally, like, live as they were recording, but it cut it in and out and it didn't sound great. And she okay. wavered a lot in her singing, so they just were like, never mind. Fair
3: enough. So. Yeah. yeah. replace. We would do yeah. the same. <laughs> <So> We would.
2: <laughs> exactly. Cool. Okay, so James Gleason as Uncle Bertie. Gleason was an American actor, playwright, and screenwriter, and he had an interesting life. Uh, he typically played tough-talking, world-weary guys with a secret heart. of gold uh and he began earning his living at the age of 13. first being a messenger's boy before being a printer's devil an assistant in an electric store and a lift boy like helping people in the elevator and shit yeah he enlisted in the united states army at 16 and served three years in the philippines on discharge he began his stage career where he ended up um in london for a couple of years and then back stateside And then he began writing his own um, dialogue for comedies. He wrote a number of plays, several which actually made it to Broadway. He also acted on Broadway himself. And then when World War Two broke out, he re-enlisted in the United States Army and served until the end of the war. So he joined the army at 16 in 1900 and was out for the first time in 1903 at 19. This makes him 57 at the start of World War Two, which means when he left the war, he was 62.
0: Holy shit. Wow.
2: Yeah. Was he infantry? I doubt it.
0: <laughs> yeah, what the hell have you been doing? Yeah.
2: I have no idea but I read that they took people up until 64 at what? that time.
0: Wow.
2: They just wanted bodies desperately.
0: That's insane.
5: I agree. Yes. Man, and back in that day too, like 60-year-olds now were nothing like the 60-year-olds. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah.
0: I'm wondering how old he was. So he would have been in his 60s, late 60s in this movie? or
2: Oh, yeah. Maybe even early
0: 70s. Maybe in early 70s. Yeah. Okay. That is in. So that's a cool background. So he was like doing, he's kind of, it's kind of like Sam Shepard. It's a little bit. Like someone who I'll does bet. so much stuff and he can yeah. show up as your like veteran old guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Actually a veteran old guy. That's a fact. <laughs> he is, indeed. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, he, You know, he portrayed tough, warm-hearted characters, uh, usually with a New York background, because he's um, balding and has this, like, craggy voice. He did a lot of uncredited small work here and there before he got into bigger roles. Like, he was in Frank Capra's classic, Meet John Doe, where he played the cynical, hard-boiled editor brought in to pump up the newspaper that runs with the John Doe story. Uh, he also was nominated for an Academy Award for. Best supporting actor for his performance as boxing manager Max Popcorkle in the 1941 film Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Um, and in his later years, he was in several episodes of like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and ABC's show The Real McCoys. Oh. Um, sadly, he died in 59 from complications related to asthma, and he is buried in Culver City, California.
0: You know, there's a fair amount of people. Well, I guess not a fair amount, but yeah, so he's on the list of people who this was their kind of last great thing. Yeah, sure.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. This was one of his le- Yeah, exactly. Uh, fumbling over that. <laughs> So Evelyn Varden as Icy Spoon. Yes, for some reason. (laughs) Icy Spoon. Was it icy?
0: Yeah, her name's Icy. His name?
2: Yes, her name is Icy.
0: And I was watching with subtitles, and they just have it I C E Y. Yeah, she's Icy. Oh, crazy! So what's that name? What's that?
2: (laughs) I have no uh, information about that. I couldn't find anything as to why the author named her Icy Spoon, but it's funny. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so she is a celebrated character actress uh, from Oklahoma Evelyn Varden is uh, in fact she was listed on the Dawes roles as being 132nd Cherokee which makes her one of the very few white women with an actual claim to Cherokee heritage <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, it's like yeah <laughs> anyway so uh, Varden usually played showy colorful often pushy or bossy supporting characters. Characters, such as her role in this film um, and her role in The Bad Seed as landlady Monica Breedlove. So The Bad Seed is another movie that I fell in love with as a kid. I was home from school sick at like age 10 and it came on TCM and I loved it so much that I waited around for the next showing and recorded it on VHS and I didn't get rid of that VHS copy until like five years ago.
3: Why? <laughs> why Why'd you get rid of it? Yeah.
2: Uh, it it. I don't have a VCR. <laughs> (laughs) And it was just literally recorded off the TV with commercials and all. Yeah, those were the days. (laughs) They were. Ooh. Uh, So (laughs) author Davis Grubb is quoted as saying, Varden is almost my favorite person in the whole film. I thought she was perfect as icy spoon. She put things into that characterization that should have gotten that she should have gotten extra for. She got across the very subtle way of a middle-aged woman who is promoting the marriage of a younger woman to an attractive male. They themselves are very sexually excited by the whole thing. It's a sixty-year-old Yenta's way of getting off. She did so <laughs> much with just a little sigh. Oh
4: boy, I
3: can't say we were Mike and I were fans of that character.
2: Oh no, she's very good. At playing extremely unlikable busybodies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she was very abrasive. Like the
5: opening scene with the kids, or there's one scene with the kids, and she's like,
2: "Don't you talk
5: to me like that." And then she's like, "All right, children." I'm like, "Oh, I would hate that woman." She goes back and forth between nice and like too abrasive.
0: She talks at both sides of her mouth. Yeah, there's yeah. there's when she's handing out the fudge to people, it's all very like, yeah, look, it, especially in the context of, of of horror, she probably it's probably very ugly on purpose, right? Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah. Yeah, she's supposed to. She's not supposed to be like. Yeah. yeah,
0: she's yeah. kind
5: of creepy in the fudge scene. But yeah, <laughs> her and she smile, just dead yeah. eyes
2: and <laughs> children. <laughs> the way, the way she voice, you know, raises her voice at the end of word. uh Oh, um, so Don Beto as Walt Spoon. Beto is a celebrated or was a celebrated American character actor who worked primarily in theater until 38, where he made the leap to cinema. He's primarily known for fast talking reporter roles or similar roles. And he briefly also put his career on hold to serve in World War Two. He was in the Air Force. Um, And he returned to acting post-war as well. He's been in so many films and shows that I cannot begin to name them all. But some notable works include the 1954 version of A Star is Born, Night of the Hunter, of course. And literally just about every Western you could think of, he had at least a small bit part on. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And he lived to be the ripe old age of 87 and uh, was working in real estate up until he died in 91.
0: Oh, realist. Wow. That's
2: what he decided to do after he retired from acting. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he was pretty great. He had that funny moment, like slugging some peach... (laughs) Right, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, that's my favorite part for,
0: yeah. for him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what, mother?
4: <laughs> yeah, it,
0: it, it, it was like, hey, let's bring over some peach schnapps. And she's like, nah. And he's like, okay. <laughs> he's like,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, I'll have some. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's get into Gloria Castillo, who plays Ruby. She's like the only other, she's like the only like really notable kid, Um, I guess from Lily and Gish's little group yeah, of yeah. ragtag team. <laughs>
0: yeah, quite a little narrative going. Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, you know, she's trying to flirt with guys at the yeah. ice cream uh, parlor and she actually has a crush on Harry in the movie, which is creepy. <laughs> she's wayward, but you know, that's why that's why she's in the care of Lillian Gish.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives us a I mean, anyway, I don't I don't know if I want to go. I want to hear her history actually. Yeah, what what was her deal?
2: So, this is like her first big role, Ooh. and she and then um she went on and did some television roles. Uh she was in Zorro and a show called The Millionaire. And um, in film, she kind of made a name for herself within sci-fi B-movies, such as Invasion of the Saucerman and Teenage Monster. Oh,
4: nice. Yeah,
2: yeah. And in the 60s, she transitioned into fashion and launched the clothing line Chessa Davis. But unfortunately her life was cut short in 1978 when she passed away from or pharyngeal cancer.
0: Hmm. Yeah, on the throat or the mouth.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Okay.
2: Yeah. I so, mean, she
0: had she she was quite And so sorry to do this again. Can we do how old she was at the time of that movie?
2: Oh, uh, yes. 2 seconds. <laughs> we have
0: Google as well. Sorry. But I we're uh, we're kind of chilling on the couch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all cool. She's I'm, the I'm just <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to start uh, you know, writing down their birthdays, in case this comes up again. I'm
0: sure it's so irrelevant. But for some reason, that's like, I love hearing their histories, like you just gave. And then I'm like, cool. So, where was she at? Like, was she, was she,
2: she was 22 at this time. Okay. Really? Okay. Yep, yep. She was, really yeah, she was also, also, she's like the same age as my grandma if she was still alive. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like that character was really cool. And I think everything around that zone was really like, it felt like it was giving us so much resolution and in someone to really get behind, which mm-hmm. in the first half, you don't have anyone you can get behind, besides you know, besides like the kids. But you know, you just feel so bad for them. It's cool when you get to that kind of orphanage, and then you have—is it Rudy or Ruby? Like it's Ruby. You know, she's someone who is who is is wayward, but yeah, she's being she's finding her way, you know. Yeah. And you, yeah, we have somewhere to go with it. Yeah, it's really it's really cool what they did with that character. Don't you think that's a character you could almost be like in the in the writing stage or something? You could be like, well, maybe we'll lose we'll lose that narrative, but it's so cool that it was in there because mm-hmm. it, it does give you something as an audience for sure.
2: Yeah, the original script was actually like an incredibly thick script like the script could have been its own novel that expounded upon the novel and they had to cut a lot of things out because it was just unfilmable they yeah. just rewrote the whole book um <laughs> no let's just say they, there was a lot more direction i guess if that oh, makes sense
4: yeah oh that's
2: um, yeah um and there's like some hearsay back and forth there between mitchum and lawton Like, they've got some disagreements in their different uh, respective autobiographies about how everything went down, so... That's interesting. Yeah, so Mitchum kind of claims that he directed some of it, and that he had to deal with the kids, and... Other people are like that didn't happen, <laughs> so wow. uh, yeah, we'll get into it later on when we get into like some uh, behind the scenes stuff. But Absolutely. so I'm gonna give yeah, so I'm gonna give a rundown of the summary though of the, like this, so just kind add, of what happens.
0: Let's add let's add to the note the, the characters of yes. note right, and let's say Walter Schumann, yes. composer. All right. Yes. He- yes. He died, he um he he did do the the music for Dragnet. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 so yeah, he did that. He did some him. Abbott Costello stuff. Um, prior to this, he actually died shortly after. He died like four or five years later. Um, after, after this. this. Yeah. Um, so you know, he had his little like time in the sun and uh, did a brilliant job with this. And um and yeah, this ended up being his last great kind of yeah. moment and stuff. Yeah. yeah.
4: Excellent.
2: You're so right. I'm gonna start adding the composer to our have episodes <laughs> since I have composers with me right
0: now. <laughs> it was cool to actually get into the, to this guy. I want to see more yeah. of his stuff. Like, there's, it, it seems like he's a little bit of a... He's got a couple hits and, and, and that was kind of it, but mm-hmm. I bet to dig into his other work would be really interesting because some of these hymns and the score he did with it are, like, really, I think, just, like, really, really good. Like, yeah, amazing. Yeah, they really tell, tell the story. It's amazing. Thank so you. my guest watched it with commentary and I think there was a lot of music stuff. in. Was there a lot of
3: there Yeah, there were some... Uh, they were really pointing out a lot of the, cool. the the theme moments. That yeah. Cool stuff.
2: All right. So the setting, West Virginia, the Great Depression, and Reverend Harry Powell is a misogynistic serial killer and self-proclaimed preacher who travels along the Ohio River justifying his murders of widows uh, as God's work. Uh, after reaching a small town sometime after his latest murder, Powell ends up being arrested for driving a stolen car and serves... Thirty days at Moundsville Penitentiary. Oh I do wanna interject this part with the okay. dancing scene. Oh yeah. That's like
5: a live porn studio, right? Or like did people go to wank it?
2: Um Sorry. I thought it was just a strip <laughs> Morgan, I thought
5: it was just a strip club. Is it a strip club? They're I all sitting like in a
2: Stage setting,
3: in a theater. I I was I thought it was like a burlesque kind of yeah theme I think, version of that. I th-
2: yeah, I thought it was like a burlesque strip-up. Okay, people,
3: people didn't like it back then.
2: <laughs> well, so yeah, especially they, not they go to hell. Yeah. yeah, especially not. uh holier than thou. Harry Powell. <laughs> true,
0: very true. <laughs> he was there for research, clearly. Research. <laughs> he
2: did put his hand in his pocket. Okay, guys, it's uh, uh, like just, is that scene where yeah. he puts hand in his pocket and then the knife pops up knife, out of his yeah, pocket.
0: That, that is that is nice.
2: absolutely like an erection without showing an erection. Yes,
5: right. it, it is. is. It's it like a his-
0: fucking uh, visual wordplay, kind of. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
5: yeah, it's like, is that a knife in your pocket or are you have <laughs> just- to see me? <laughs> yeah,
2: <exactly. laughs> Oh shit, it's a knife. <laughs>
4: Whoa.
2: Uh, absolutely. Okay, so he ends up in a cell with Ben Harper, who is the father of the two children who are the protagonists of the film. He is John and Pearl's father. He's impoverished and he ends up robbing a bank for $10,000 which I didn't look up exactly how much it is back then, but it was a hell of a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's the great depression. So that's an incredible amount of money at the time. So he stole it cause he didn't want his kids to go hungry. Cause they were really struggling, you know? And uh, so the police catch him, but like he basically just drives up in the yard of his house really fast. And then it's just like, where do I hide the money? No, not there. Hmm. Uh, yes, that's perfect. I mean, they don't show you where the money's hid, mm-hmm. but he talks to the kids and it's like, D- you have to promise super promise that you never tell anyone where the money's head, And then the cops come and take him. And he looks strangely pained when he's being arrested. <laughs>
4: True. Like like
2: mm-hmm. the whole scene, I don't know. The acting in this particular part feels weirdly wooden in just this one scene.
0: I yeah. thought
5: he was going to kill himself cuz he had
2: the gun still. Yeah.
0: And they uh-huh. made a whole thing about the gun. Yeah.
2: I mean, I don't know why he didn't cuz he was going to be hung. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like right. I guess I guess it's less traumatizing on the children to yeah. not blow your brains out in front of them.
0: But you know, but that trauma on the kids, you know, is uh some sort of motif in the movie cuz you know, you do it is. Yeah, it has a on that character, that little kid who has to, does, does he grab his stomach? It's a, I, he I, does. His portrayal, I think, was good. Don't you think he had a couple interesting little takes there? He, he says, he says the same thing a couple times, like leave him alone or something like that. And well, he, and it comes back at the end, it, exactly. And it's yeah. a, it's a big thing. And yeah. and the end, and, like a
2: flashback for him, yeah, that second
0: point, uh,
2: yeah, when later on, when uh, when Harry is taken in, um, <laughs> it, he, it's, he can't let go. He,
0: he hasn't like, he's all of a sudden, you know, briefly on, on Harry's side because he's so so just, like, flashing back to that stuff. Yeah, yeah
2: he's, like, having a PTSD experience. Yeah. He called him mm-hmm.
0: daddy and stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah,
2: and it's he grabbed it's his stomach yeah. for a second it's, it's time too. Yeah, it's interesting. So Harry rides into town. Uh, oh, oh, actually, let's go back. So they're in the gel cell, and this is a great scene where Mitchum's character hangs upside down, and Mitchum takes credit for that. He said that that wasn't in the direction. He just kind of did that.
3: It's pretty funny.
2: It's good, and I like how wild his hair looks when he leans over. Yeah. But he's trying to talk the sleepy talk Ben Harper's talking in his sleep and he's basically trying to be like, Hey, where's the money? Tell me where the money is. Very sneaky. <laughs> very sneaky. And then he tries to play all, you know, good preacher man on him and he's like, Oh, you were quoting the scripture, blah 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 and starts, you know, preaching at him, but Ben also still trying to kind of weasel information out of him and Ben's not having it. He's just like, Keep talking, preacher and then he just shoves cloth in his mouth so that he can't talk in his sleep. <laughs> yes. Was like his sav- own sock, in his yeah. sock. Ben, yeah.
0: Ben was savvy and a lot was revealed in that scene. It's almost like, you know, you see his absence felt in, you know, when later when Harry is, goes goes to the town and like, um no one's that savvy. No one's that seems to be asking him like, okay, what church are you from? Or, you know, like Ben kind of yeah. pegged, you know, there's that honesty of being in the jail cell together. But I don't know. It was that, that was interesting to see that, that, that the preacher is revealed to not be a preacher and he's not well, even hiding it that much. And it was an interesting thing. Well,
3: it's also kind of funny because they they're kind of undercutting how scary he's supposed to be by that upside Uh, down shot. uh, To me, it's like it's kind of silly. Interesting. Um.
2: There's some more moments that uh, Lawton wanted to shine a light of buffoonery on him.
4: Oh, okay. it ki-
2: kind of like basically, they didn't want his character to be so evil that it would be bad for Mitchum's career. Okay. Yeah, and I
5: mean, looking back, they keep like interjecting little Bible verses. Like at the very beginning, they said, Don't believe in false prophet they'll yeah. come to you wearing sheep's clothing. Yes. So I think they did a good job of making him on the borderline of good and evil, just like his his tattoos.
0: I I would agree that they really do frame him up in that early part of the story, which for some reason I found myself kind of appreciating that that they they um they reveal him early. Mm-hmm. You know, you're yeah. I don't think you're wondering that much. I think you I think you know that this character is the false prophet in sheep's in sheep's clothing, right? I mean, I I found myself liking that part of the narrative.
2: Yeah, there's no guessing to his intentions, yeah. but it's fun to see it play. Out.
0: So as far as the buffoonery, what do you, are there some other, it's a really interesting idea. What are some other. Ver- so that
2: scene in the basement when the shelf falls on his head and he kind of lumbers <laughs> up the stairs like Frankenstein well, almost Frankenstein's and, uh, monster.
3: Okay. Right. Also when he gets shot. And he does
0: the, the funny yelp. He does. Yeah,
2: the yelp in the in the river <laughs> when kind of he, screams. Oh, yeah. and he
0: screams. Yeah. He screams in the in the in the river too. I was wondering if that was part oh, of the buffoonery, yeah, the buffoonery. or, or yeah. that's also kind of scary. I didn't know how that it, would be taken. Yeah, it,
5: it, it sounded it, that, like he was the sheep, and then when he got shot, he really revealed himself, and he was the wolf, and he was just howling away like yeah. <laughs> so,
4: kind,
2: so. Of, kind of, He <laughs> sounded like a dog. <laughs> he did sound like a dog that had been um, run over. <laughs> Also,
0: the same audio was kind of looped a couple of times which yes. kind of lends itself yeah. like kind of jokey cartoon style right. I felt like that was kind of a, the craft slipping away from whoever was in charge of that but I don't know maybe they liked the comedy factor of that you know
2: I think it was part of the buffoonery I think
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense do you think it? I wonder to watch this have you ever done this like watch this movie with, with a, you know in a theater with some people and stuff I wonder <laughs> when you get laughter you know you it's probably all over the place
2: I haven't been able to find anywhere that was running it, but I always keep yeah. my eyes peeled. I have Google alerts for a lot of things. Uh, if should they ever pop up in the theater, I finally got to see Audition Takashi Maek's film. I saw it a couple months ago on the big screen for the first time, and that was awesome. Ultra- but isn't
0: that isn't that like, your, like the ultra disturbing?
2: It's pr- it's pretty disturbing, but I love that movie. Okay. <laughs> given yeah, given how many disturbing movies I've watched in my lifetime. Yeah. I find it to be like a five. <laughs> <Okay. All right. laughs> but uh you know Night I mean it, it does it does have a man um, who's missing parts of his body that's living in a bag. Oh wow okay. and uh acupuncture <laughs> as torture. Yeah. <laughs> so uh you know it's unhinged. It's disturbing, but maybe I'm a little unhinged. <laughs> 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 I'm desensitized. That's what it is. I actually I would love to tell you guys something. Um so there's only been like maybe five or six films in my life that I've ever fainted to. And I think your score for this helped the atmosphere that made me faint. So I fainted and she dies tomorrow.
4: No, really.
2: I did. The scene where the woman <laughs> the scene where the woman stabs herself in the stomach and then she walks into the swimming pool and the red blood just kind of wow. slowly seeps into the chlorine. I was Gone like three shades of pale. <laughs> at, at,
0: at, we did it. We did we it. Did we did just high five. Yeah. <laughs> okay,
5: yeah. Yeah.
0: Right at the end. Right. That's the yeah. Yeah. What?
5: That's towards the end. Yeah. Wow. Damn it. Now, okay, Anna, I have to make you faint. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got to That's it. So you got a sympathetic reaction because that that would make you faint like in real life. You you must have had a sympathetic reaction to that.
2: Yeah. uh Yeah. That would absolutely make me faint in real life. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Much faster. <laughs>
0: Interesting. Okay. What are the other ones wow. you you fainted in?
2: I Fainted watching um, Eli Roth's *The Green Inferno* Right. because mm-hmm. it's you know a gory or cannibal holocaust essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Oh, uh, have you ever seen *Excision*? No. No. So it stars the.
3: Sounds, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds light.
2: <laughs> so, Excision stars Tracy Lords and this the chick uh, Annie Lynn McCord okay. from I think she was on Netta.
0: Does it do oh, some okay. body body horror? Are you
2: uh, gonna- yes yes. Um, amateur surgery is performed on a character.
0: Anyway. nice.
2: Uh, the character means well and doesn't realize that they're going to really butcher their, the other person. Yeah. Okay,
0: it, Is so it, it's a gore. It's essentially sort of a gore factor. That,
2: it's 100% a gore factor. Yeah, yeah. I, blood and me don't mix well, but I'm a huge horror fan, so I just overcome it. <laughs> yeah, I think
5: it's really wild that you're really into the, like, the new French extremity, not like yeah, the I,
2: extremism I, films, <laughs> and those are all, like, gory as fuck. They are, and I've never fainted in any of those, though. That's wild. Even when they skin that girl. Uh, what is that? Uh, that would be Martyrs, where Martyrs. a woman is skinned alive. And no, I actually found that weirdly beautiful. Yeah,
0: that was that was uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it, was,
2: it was definitely a lot, but um, I love that movie.
0: I do think that, um, well, I mean, we're for sure fans of horror and everything, but, you know, if we're thinking back to some of the like filmmakers and stuff, people deeply, deeply fans of horror, like in so many ways, I think they are really sensitive to it in the way that you're describing. I think that you're love for it is, seems related to being really sensitive to it.
2: I think so. I think so. There's a like a mind-gut connection there. <laughs> okay, so where were we in the story? Okay, so Harry's just gotten into town, and he kind of rides up, accesses Harper's hometown, and starts to woo, immediately finds Willa, because that's, you know, he's looking for, and starts trying to woo her. He goes into the Spoon's shop and starts doing his famous love and hate speech, where he uses his his hands as uh you know a way to describe the battle
0: between good and evil and and had, he, had he already shown up to to that window under under the light before that or was is that scene after he's in the shop
2: that scenes after
0: okay okay yeah. this is the initial okay
2: yeah first time anyone's seen him or he's seen them um so he quickly okay like almost immediately wins over i see she's like oh i've never heard it told better before." <laughs> 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 and she's just eats it you know he has her eating out of his hand immediately she's just loving it and she's quickly trying to push willow towards him and was like i don't know i don't really want a husband yeah, it's like the day after he
5: died, and they're all like, you need to find a husband.
2: Yeah, like, gee, can I mourn? Can you fucking mourn? <laughs> and
3: yeah. the daughter, too, I think, is, like, like really eating it up,
4: right? Girl.
2: Yeah, the daughter, like, calls basically. His daddy, like, instantly. She falls yeah. in love. You know how, uh, uh, you know, like, in a, a loving family way, a daughter, you know, falls in love with their father, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she falls in love with him like that. Like That's she's true. To...
0: This is the first thing to happen, because huh? in, in the shop, she's like, um, you know. You know he's got her on his knee and stuff like yeah yeah.
2: So. yeah so it's not long before you know he's asking Willa to marry him and you know he's basically won the whole town over overnight uh john is pretty much the only one that's like he is highly sus <laughs> <laughs> willa tries to initiate her wifely duties with harry on their wedding night and he quickly tells her that sex is for making children only the next evening, Harry walks up on Pearl and John just as they're like shoving money back inside the doll because Pearl decided to make paper dolls out of the money. The whole time, I'm like, you stupid kid!
5: Yeah.
2: Right? Like, do you know how much money that is? Oh my god! Yeah. Stop it! It's the Great Depression! <laughs> the money, that's your key! <laughs> money
5: that's your key the,
0: the money blows in the wind toward his feet as he's, like, like yeah, he shooing he them so. away, and I thought that would reveal it to him. I don't, but he... He doesn't see it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I he thought he noticed, but he does not notice. That scene is such a nail biter because... Right, he, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just so very like barely overlooks it, you know what I mean? Like... Well,
3: and it's all one shot I think. I feel like... It's it all, is. He's right behind really? them and, mm-hmm. but it doesn't see it and you're just kind of there with them.
2: Yeah, you're just... <laughs> oh God, he's gonna see. How does he not see? Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's that 10th scene. Yeah. Um, and John's, you know, just kind of has this like cat with a ca- and <laughs> cat with a canary in his mouth look on his face like, oh, uh, I didn't. Uh, we're not doing anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's like maybe it, maybe it just helps us lock in with John, you know, where you kind of don't know what he knows. And I, th- I feel like there's a few of those like, you know, later on when 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 um, Harry is like looking into the basement when the, it's kind of escalating and, yeah. you know, all that like you there's a few odd beats of the story where like you kind of you're like, are they Caught? Does he know? Right, like, what's right. going on, babe? Yeah. It, it kind of helps us stay with the kid, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. So later on, they're like up in the bedroom and um, like getting ready for bed, kind of. And Pearl sitting on his knee, just like having like father-daughter time kind of, and um, he starts to ask her all about the money, and John just kind of freaks out and throws a brush at his head and said, no, you know, you said you wouldn't tell, you said you'd never tell. And that ends up revealing yeah. that they know where the money is, unfortunately. And this is where they like run off, and they end up in the basement. And he's got them cornered, but they manage to make the shelf fall on his head. And that's the buffoonery scene where he just runs up the stairs after them, but he's you know stunned a little, and uh, it gives them enough time to get to Uncle Bertie's. But meanwhile, he's already killed Willa, by the way, at this point. Because Willa... I actually skipped a scene where Willa comes home and kind of see hears him um, interrogating them. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, you know, she just like shakes her head like, no, no, this isn't happening.
0: And, increasing, yeah.
2: But she yeah.
3: also is not that surprised.
2: Yeah, it's like, well, she... There's been, you know, crumbs. John's already told her that Keeps he's been... Him. Yeah, and she doesn't believe him at first, but... Now that she hears it, she's like, "I'm in denial, but I also know it's true." Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Right. I think that's
3: the meltdown. I, I feel like she's yeah. melting down. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. She she doesn't even really fight it. She just
0: kind of goes mm-hmm. along.
2: No, she gets in bed and starts praying, and then he stabs her.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she like
2: w- loses her mind in that last scene. She does. I,
0: yes, uh-huh. we we were talking about how kind of beautiful that scene is. We were kind of looking at that just yeah. right now, and like, and Mike was saying that in the commentary, they kind of talk about how if you if you can see that imagery, you know how it's like a chapel, and and he's kind of just. Staring off into the window, and she's in bed, framed up in the light, Mm -hmm. and um, like that's not even really a well-built-out set. It's just kind of blackness with like one little shaft of light. And is it just painted on the background or something? It's very sparse. If you look at kind of tell.
5: Yeah, and that like light that's shining on her makes her look like the halo, like uh,
0: Mother Mary. Mm -hmm. It's 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 very halo and kind of like a coffin too. Like she's kind of already gone. Right. True. She
2: even has her her hands like crossed over her chest
0: yeah yeah
2: and then it cuts to a scene where you see where her body is she's in a car at she's in a model t at the bottom of the river yeah and it's i missed that it's an oh morgan it's an incredibly beautiful shot how the fuck did i I miss that i mean and it's actually one of the most famous scenes from the film
0: it looks so beautiful even aside from story stuff because you know yeah story-wise it is one it is what it is but just visually and just kind of as an aside i mean that's like you know have you guys seen that like we emerald del toro talking about this movie and he kind of talks about that that shot she's underwater all swirling hair kind of kind of reminds me of how you know in Lord of the Rings so like Peter Jackson I mean you know Guillermo del Toro Peter Jackson I think they just like love this movie yeah, probably both yeah and all the underwear with like Gollum and Smeagol like underwater swirling hair and lights bouncing around and everything's mm-hmm. in slow motion Yeah. it's all very like that you know yeah. and oh, I'm it's-
5: looking at it right now I totally missed that I think I watched it on that free channel oh um,
0: commercials and stuff yeah oh, they- so
2: you like went to go to the bathroom or something
0: and yeah
5: it? oh no I-, I couldn't pause it. So- so I think maybe,
2: maybe yeah. that was it? Probably. Or it skipped over it? I don't know. That's probably what happens. I Damn watched, it. <laughs> I, I watched my Blu-ray copy because I've owned it for like 10 years now. But I, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I bet
0: that looked beautiful. And also what's cool, they, they go underwater for that stuff. And then also they have that Uncle Birdie looking down from above the water. Yes. Looking down onto it. That's an impressive yeah. shot too. It's kind of- It is.
3: It's a funny one though because it's oh. so clear. It's
0: yeah, it, it is. Very it's very too very clear. Fun.
2: But it's it's to serve a point because when right. they run to Uncle Birdie later on yeah. he is wasted. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> like he's so drunk that he cannot help them I know and they I was really... like turn him in the rescue position he's gonna choke on his vomit because he leaves him on his back I'm like no <laughs> That's that's Morgan's inner nurse coming out <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny.
2: Okay, so, and
0: then... But what, when was, when was um, Uncle Birdie, like, so wrapped up in his own inner demons that he's, like, spilling the whiskey and doesn't even, like, look at it? It's just, like... Was that...
2: It's, like, kind of right before this.
0: Okay, yeah, so that was his... That's when he's just losing it. I was kind of reading it a lot, you guys, honestly, as, like, he was just losing it. I, I wasn't reading it so much as he was shwasted. Because of what he saw? Well, yeah.
2: he's shwasted because... He's drinking to, like, yeah. black out what he just saw, is the way I read it.
0: You do like, see... You see him
3: drinking and like talking to his the picture of his wife, right?
0: yes, and then the wisp yeah. is pouring and he's not even paying attention to it, he's just like in his own head. I thought,
3: yeah, I think
0: a little bit, both, th- a little bit both,
2: yeah, I think Willa's death triggered other things with him within his character that isn't like on this, you know, written down. So it's just him, it's just him like thinking about his dead wife and then you know, uh, being triggered by this death and seeing and realizing what's gonna happen to the kids, maybe, but also not not really knowing what to do about it. Cause who's going to believe the town drunk over this like sainted preacher? Hey,
0: he said, um, he said, they're going to stick me for it. If I tell anybody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: He thinks, he thinks they're going to arrest him for it. Hey. Exactly. So yeah, he just starts to kind of drink himself to death. So John's just like, all right, well, dad's skiff boat is on the river. The river can still save us. And the river does save them. Uh, They get in their skiff boat. And I mean, Powell is behind them, still coming after them. The river gets them a lot farther away from him. And there is that scene where he just like knows that he can't catch up to them. And he's just screaming in the river, like, damn it. What's interesting about that scene, that whole thing is filmed on a soundstage. That river is on a soundstage.
0: Yeah, so crazy. Okay, commentary boy, what did they say? That's what they said, actually. Okay, it's on a the soundstage. They,
3: they, were, they were very eager to point out what was on a stage and what was not.
0: <laughs> um, it's always <laughs> the were. best audience, like, thank
3: you. Yeah, yeah, now you know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, so that, that scene, he's literally crouched down uh, in you know shallow water, not, you know.
0: Right, he's not yet anywhere near like a kind of drowning. So, you know, the whole boat, the skiff, was a cool thing building up to that moment. And I kind of was thinking that the boy wanted the skiff because the money would was kind of buried somewhere relating to it, like the boat could get him there.
4: Because
0: mm. uh, he kept at, bugging, you know, yeah. Uncle Bertie, right? He's yeah. like, hey, when's he going to be ready? So And I was just thinking that's the kind of ticking clock is like, mm. that's when he can get the money and and do whatever he's gonna do or hide it. But yeah, was he just he just knew they were gonna have to escape at some point, I guess, and just wanted the boat ready to well, go.
4: You
2: know, conveniently, his father was friends with Birdie and just always left the boat tied up there. You know, yeah. it serves the point of the story.
4: Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. I think like I don't know. For me, I felt like Birdie was the father figure for him, even though he wasn't the most perfect father figure and had a lot of sorrow and a drinking problem. I felt more
2: like a grandpa figure.
5: Yeah, I guess a grandpa. I mean, calls. Some uncle, but... No, depress- uncle,
2: grandpa, same kind of thing. <laughs> uncle, grandpa. Like, like, Familiar male that figure. That is West Virginia.
0: So wait, was the book written in Depression era, or was the book more recent, like, the 50s?
2: No, the book takes place in the Depression era.
0: It takes place, but, in, and we can probably just figure that's kind of the set. Yeah, because, like, you know, in Depression era, like, um, maybe grandpa and father figure are really similar yeah. or something, you know? Like, maybe it is father figure.
2: True, and I mean, when, especially, like, maybe, say, your father's gone a lot trying to find Work and this guy's a nice guy in town that yeah, you trust. Yeah, because yeah, he
0: live in parents or live in grandparents who were the ones raising the kids. You know. Right. Yeah. So. Sure,
5: absolutely. Yeah, and he's like treating him like an adult, but everybody else is treating him like a kid because he's like, "Here's some coffee, boy."
0: Great right, yeah, coffee. That's right. Yeah, that was cool. Like I
2: super appreciate that as a kid who hung out with adults a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you like adults that value your opinion and hear you out. Out instead of, like, shushing you, you know?
0: Sure. And it was funny that it also made the kid grow up a lot, too, because wasn't didn't he kind of eyeball the whiskey and the coffee? and
4: He did. You know, yeah. He clocked that.
0: that. he was like, oh, well, you know, it keeps me limber or whatever. Yeah. Right yeah. yeah. Kind of yeah. like both of them had part of their growing process, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So they end up, uh, you know, down the way uh, at a new little town, and they find Rachel Cooper. And there seem to be a lot of little, like, homeless children around this town. And she just kind of has wrangled them up and made, you know, an ad hoc orphanage, effectively. And is just kind of trying to look out for them. She's very tough, no-nonsense, religious old lady. Who you know tells them Bible verses, but also like you know gets them to help her around the house and work and um, stuff like that.
0: So and I'm she... thinking back to that part of the story. Are there signals that help us really know that she's good? Because I I did like her right away. And and there are there's that brief other scene where like the kids go and get um, a potato or yeah. from that other and it's a little more dark and shadowy. And then by the time that Mrs. Cooper comes around, you're kind of like, okay, great. I mean, may, or not, or or is she kind of weird at first? I don't remember. Um,
2: um, i think you're you're meant to trust her yeah right from the bat because i mean she's even
5: the
0: she's,
2: very she's the very first thing you see she's like up I'm in the flat get
0: switch <laughs> she's gonna get the switch
2: i mean but that's just being a stern yeah. old woman back then you know what i mean
0: you, you know that she has the right like tools for the for the moment i feel like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. absolutely yeah yeah.
2: she's uh, already got hand selected switches with different <laughs> levels of sharpness.
0: <laughs> and she's like you kids are dirty Right, she's like, get in right, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I got yeah. Me- um, and she says, looks like I have more mouths to feed, which is kind of a signal, like, yeah, she's taking them in. She's yeah. not just like in a mess with them, or yeah.
4: Something. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. She sees it as she's the only one who cares about these kids, and somebody's gonna feed them, and she doesn't want them to, you know, be any more worse off than they are. So
0: great presence in that story. By the time that hits, I don't know how exactly the acts kind of break out, but like that feels like such a great new development, you know, and like
2: yeah, it's when they meet her, it's a tonal shift in the film
0: yeah oh yeah yeah it is so needed it, i think i didn't realize how much i needed a character like that who was savvy strong and was just going to take care of the kids you know
2: yeah exactly that no-nonsense attitude is like what they needed because their I, mother was very wayward
0: so yeah that's exactly what it is mm-hmm. and and um by the time that harry comes around when you see that standoff about to happen you're like oh yes like i think she's gonna like handle him perfectly you know right, I mean? yeah. it's fun mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fun to watch that kind of stuff happen.
2: Yeah, he tracks them down, and she sees him coming, and sees through his deception, and runs him off her property with a shotgun. Like hell yeah. Yeah, And yeah, she, she can, like, she's the only one who trusts
5: the son. Because yeah, everybody and, thinks he's lying. Yeah, And he said, and she says, are you all right? Like, because she can see a change in his face. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, thought that was Yeah, she sees nice. the trauma. Yeah. And that.
0: so that's the story from John earlier, right? And he's like, basically everyone's dead. We don't have any parents. And then, so when the guy comes around, Harry comes around, and kind of mistakenly, I mean, sloppily, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm their dad. He's just yeah. like, I'm straight up their dad. He's like, yeah. my flesh and blood, actually, is what he says. Right. So it's <laughs> like, that's kind of she's savvy enough to be like, alright, this guy's very questionable, you mm-hmm. know, yeah.
2: Yeah, this guy's lying. He's lying his ass off. He's so
0: boppy. Like, he he could have been, like, sussing out more what she knew, and you, you know, know, like, yeah. probably gotten a little bit closer in there, but he never seemed trustworthy at all to her, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I think he was just, he was he was seeing green. <laughs> Instead of red, he was seeing green. He was just eyes on the money
0: yeah. at that point. Yeah. So, he, he kind of thinks lowly of everybody, too, right? It's, it's what works, yeah. but he does not respect these, like, Appalachian Town people at all? He's right. just like, oh, no. hello, children. You know, it's just, it's, it's he's pretty lowbrow in his like appraisal of people. You know,
5: absolutely. You do the hello, children, really good.
4: <laughs> yeah, you do. I, I've
0: been working. Well, on it's this. like I would say, like he he kind of is chef. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you think that South Park could have been thinking of this character? Like, is he that much of a huge character that hello, children? Oh, let me tell you about that. You know, like it's. I guess that's just a classic thing, no? Just for a lot of different characters. I
2: that's also just Isaac Hayes' voice.
0: <laughs> Yeah,
2: literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so, Pal comes back after dark, and uh it's an all-night standoff. She gives him a face full of buckshot, and he flees into her barn
4: and That's yipping, couple, right? That's yipping, yipping away. Yeah, he
2: is yipping, a bit like a, a injured dog, which is funny, and buffoon-ish. So... <laughs> She calls the fucking police and he arrives and uh, they arrest Powell for Willa's murder. And it's a huge relief for everyone because he's been just coming at them for so long in the film now. And John kind of breaks down during Powell's handcuffing that we were talking about. And he's having like a PTSD flashback of his father being arrested. And he starts like beating the doll against... Uh, against Harry and cash starts spilling out um,
0: yeah, he says I don't want it I don't want the money right he's
2: yeah I don't want it yeah
0: that's really actually pretty touching yeah and for a minute there you're thinking maybe this is a tragic twist to the story in which John like sympathizes or, or you know in his kind of hysterics like almost defends the honor of Harry because he's like tripping out thinks he's his dad sort of you know mm-hmm. there's like there's like a minute there where you're like oh no like stop talking Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah it's so sad
5: he's yeah, just like please. no Oh, my daddy. And like, you know, yeah. he reverts back to a little kid, like a really little kid. Right. Yeah. Like he's had this journey of growing up and then he kind of like just goes backwards.
2: A little bit. Yeah. So Powell's trial begins and John once again starts kind of transposing Powell for his father and he can't bring himself to testify against him. And uh, following Powell's sentencing, Rachel takes John and the other children away uh, and you see Icy see leading a lynch mob towards the police <laughs> station. And she is at her most arranged at this point. Yes, yeah, she it's, is. It's great. Uh, and the Pal's escorted out of the back uh, for safety reasons. And uh, the prison hangman promises to see him again soon. And then it kind of pans over to John and Pearl having their first Christmas together with Rachel and their new family. And they're like wrapping pieces of fruit for her because that's all they can afford. And it's it's really sweet. And that's kind of how the movie ends. It's just them having this new hope of a better life with this like new family that loves them and without the worry of the money and their past.
0: It's really cool that it wasn't like a traditional like um, Norman Rockwell painting family that, that they kind of fall into. It, mm-hmm. it was an orphanage and there's like this wayward girl and like just, you know, a, a kind of a cool new world of, of a family that really works for them. Right? And it's mm-hmm. cool to see John like want to impress somebody. I think that's why the right. Christmas scene is, is touching because you see that John finally has someone that he has to kind of try to please mm-hmm. in, in a positive way. Like not like in a disciplined way, but he just wants to make her happy, and it's like pretty sweet. Yeah, absolutely.
5: Yeah. And she gets him the watch he was eyeing in the store
2: at the very beginning of the movie.
0: Yeah, she does,
2: and it's like it's kind of like you're a man now
4: almost.
0: It does mm-hmm. in the way I like the way that uh, Mrs. Cooper was like talking to John Wright. She with the watch, yeah. She says like, well, when you're about town, you gotta like know what time it is or whatever. You know, it's yeah. just she's right. treating him in a really cool way too. Yeah. You know? yeah,
2: yeah, I appreciate that about that. You can't have no busty old watch.
4: <laughs> <laughs> This is yeah, something like that.
2: <laughs> uh, so, some behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, Charles Lawton reportedly worked well with the boy playing John, but did not get along with Pearl, as I kind of alluded to earlier. Uh, Lawton had the camera continue to roll after the scenes were finished and it often caught her reacting to him like making screwed up ugly faces at him and stuff and these were used in the editing uh, for reaction shots for her to preacher later on in life uh, Robert Mitchum who like I said was pretty indifferent and devil may care about his career in general uh, said that Charles Lawton was his favorite director and this was the favorite his favorite movie that he ever worked on whoa Yeah. Uh Mitchum was really gunning for this part. Like when he auditioned, he did everything he could to impress Lawton. And Lawton was particularly impressed when he described the character as a diabolical shit. (laughs) And then and then so he's like talking to Mitchum and he's like, Well, this character's sort of a diabolical shit, and Mitchum's like, present, I'm here. I'm the diabolical shit. And they they knew that he was right for the part at that point. Um, while the poor while it uh, you know received poor critical reviews, uh, and it's often cited as the reason why Lawton stopped directing, he also said that he preferred directing in theater, which is what he did before. He directed this. Um, he liked the way how you could constantly change things with the theater from performance to performance, like you could amend the production, adding lines, changing sets, uh, adding different lighting, and it could be you know manipulated from each different performance. And you can't do that with film, and that's also that's another big reason why he never directed another film. Um, Shelley Winters also said that this is uh, one of her most favorite performances that she ever gave. She also described it as the most thoughtful and reserved performance she ever gave. Uh,
0: Lawton um, So, so yes. we did go over her history. Was that a little bit shocking for her to be sort of killed off in like the first half? Or was um, so big that it wasn't like necessarily a big thing? I
2: don't I don't think so. It yeah. wasn't like as big of a thing as say... Psycho. Yeah, that's exactly what I was yeah, about to mention. Right. It wasn't like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you kind of knew that was going to happen because he talks about another widow when he's first driving into town, you know? You you know that. See, you kind of know she's going to die.
0: And by the way, you guys, you do see the remains of of a previous murder of, of his. Remember in the cellar?
2: You do. At the very beginning, you see the legs it's, of like, a woman in the cellar. It's,
0: it's almost just like prologue, you know. This first oh, couple man. shots, you see this woman in, in a um, sort of uh, basement. Yeah. Or, you know, her yeah. feet or something. That's it, true. It, you know what
2: those legs remind me of? They remind me of the fake legs of Wizard of Oz. Yes, exactly. Totally.
0: It is kind of Wizard of Oz. It is cool, directorially, that that they, they have the kids finding her. So you're just thinking of the kids, like, the whole yeah, time. Right. You know, yeah. there's different kids. It's just, like, it's a it's all, and, and then that crazy prologue, like, it's great, but it is wild. Like, with the stars in the sky. Yeah. And yeah. is that Mrs. Cooper? It's... That is. It, it is, is. Yeah. yeah. She's talking yeah. to the kids, like, you know, setting it all up. I mean, that's, it's kind of a wild intro to the story. It's great, though.
3: Which also, by the way, maybe that's why we kind of just trust her by the time we
0: get to You her. know, it could be. I think her. so.
2: You kind of, and like Pearl is one of the floating heads in the Guy, too, by the way. Not John, but Pearl is.
0: Pearl is. Oh, oh okay. Okay.
2: So you kind of know that yeah. they're going to be safe with her. You get that feeling.
0: Yeah. Did the same thing in the comments Like, was that a after? Like, was that a pickup I don't, shot I don't or anything? think so. It's just straight up part of everything.
3: I
2: think, okay. it, I th- yeah, I think it, was, it was always in the scripts.
3: Um. Interesting that John isn't in there, though.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure why he. I was thinking that. I was really. St- I literally paused and stared at all the faces. Well, and this, I'm like, okay. How about why this?
3: isn't John there? Because it's his POV. I,
2: yeah, you know what? That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. He's that, at- that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: the yeah. whole movie really is Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah we're yeah.
2: John <laughs> we're seeing it through his eyes that makes
0: sense He's looking right at her yeah.
4: yeah
0: yeah I'm looking at the editor actually through IMDb a little bit because I think there's a good chance that the editor kind of killed it Like there's there's a yeah. few I noticed a few did you guys notice like a few awkward kind of like shots There worth... were
2: some really awkward edits
0: Yeah well I think they were fixes that the editor might have thought of even though they do come across as kind of off But like, there's a couple freeze frame shots Oh yeah
4: Yeah those, so those that could be out. the
0: editor being like we don't have an establishing shot. I'm just going to grab it from this. Yeah. Which do pop out. So it's a mixed bag.
1: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
0: But maybe it, maybe the editor did fix a lot of things. It could
2: be. I didn't read a lot about the editor's stuff. I skimmed the book about the making of this. I didn't have time to read the whole book before, beforehand, but I got the highlights, you, you know what I'm saying?
4: <laughs> a couple of
0: and a lot of, like, kind of schlocky stuff. But, oh, The Lone Ranger. So, yeah, yeah. Like, like, a lot of, like, I, I feel like the editor was probably pretty savvy and kind of did have some fixes in mind about how yeah. to, like, do, do stuff.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it.
0: You know, that kind of rings true for, like, a lot of, a lot of good editors editors in our day and age have like have done like reality and stuff like reality tv mm-hmm. and it just gives you this like sense of like nothing's precious and you can always fix it with like like you were talking about like those those takes kind of out of, out of context like things on set that could could be used you know for like the, the reaction shots and stuff like, yeah
2: know? exactly i
0: mean that's pretty savvy and that's that is savvy a non-precious like good approach for an editor to be like well if we have the footage we have the footage yeah mm-hmm. true yeah there were some wonky things right like a little bit of the editing like, like we talked about some of the effects Special effects were a little bit like I don't know. I think that in that day and age, it still was a little bit below par.
2: <laughs> a little bit, but you know, they were doing the best they could with what they had. Like. It was a kind of yeah. it was like mid range, I would say. Okay, okay. Yeah, the the scenes but, where and, he's like in the distance, where it's
5: like the shadow and he's on the horse and the singing and stuff is moving by. It really reminded me of a theater play.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's I, and that's I, because his background. Lawton's background is in theater. Like yeah, he was theater yeah, director. Yeah, yeah, they actually ended up going over budget, okay. like oh. way over budget. <laughs> How? <laughs> well, certain things were planned out that didn't work, and they had to refilm a couple of things, and that adds up over time. A uh, big thing, a big thing that really cost them a lot of money was they kind of double booked Mitchum. Mitchum at the towards the very end of this filming of this was set to go film another other film and they had to fly him back to finish more shots of this while he was filming another movie and that added to it quite a bit
0: <laughs> that is interesting um yeah that kind of theatrical right around that middle chunk it does get a little bit theatrical and a little bit like just super i guess dreamlike you know yeah from yeah. the river journey and everything right. and that does create great stuff like none of that stuff for some reason popped out to me in, in a in a bad way all those were like good i was okay with like a dream feeling and and I think the music started to really shine during all those parts. Totally. Absolutely. The hymn started coming out and when he's in the silhouette on that horse which is by the way a little bit dreamlike in that.
4: So
2: do you want to know something interesting about that scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So why it's a part of the reason why it's so surreal looking is because it is a dwarf on a pony shot and forced perspective. (laughs) What? I'm not kidding. I love
0: that. (laughs) That's
2: Look, that's why it looks interesting, yes.
0: I, okay, so I wouldn't have known. That's a, I think that's a well-done effect. I would not have yeah, thought that. I was I, not thinking that at all. It, it does look
3: wonky. more real than fake. I okay, yeah. in like, the
0: commentary, were they talking about
3: that? They were. I wasn't going to bring it up, though.
0: So were you kind of um, like, did you kind of clock it? Not before. Okay. All right, no, all right. not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, it's
5: well pretty. done for what it is. Yeah. I did not notice that. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> that's pretty awesome, to be honest. That's pretty good. I wonder how they fit the hat on them, because it's a pretty good. Not true. <laughs>
3: scene. I mean, because how did this guy find them? How is he just I, on the horizon?
0: That's what I'm saying is you're, very dreamlike. like kind of
3: questioning reality. Yeah, it's that's like, a good point.
0: I, I guess he's just going up the river, but it, but yeah. I don't know. It seemed very dreamlike that he's that close. I mean,
3: yeah. the kid is like, does he even sleep? Yeah. He's yeah. out there sitting and riding his horse. Like,
0: oh, it's, right. It's True. He's a, he's a monster at that point. Yeah
4: yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, Absolutely.
0: Okay, but that music was probably my favorite music was my favorite moment is because he's singing the hymn. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. going through it and then the score comes in and it gives you a few cool chords and notes of like kind of a, you know, undercutting the beauty of the hymn. It gives you right, a cre- creepy yeah. music under it and it's yeah. like, for two chords it's like so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And um, it, then it kind of goes to a little bit more familiar territory but mm-hmm. but for all this stuff, especially in the middle is when it really happens, the fusion of the hymns and the score are so good. It really... It's, isn't there like a Twilight Zone that also does hymns and creepy score so well?
3: Probably. I feel like that whole the whole yes.
0: scene, the skiff scene is like all that
3: it, it is so Twilight Zone yeah. you have like harps
0: and this like starry otherworldly quality and, and it does have a Pearl song that's what starts the boat journey I think is it, that so you're saying that's, that was a,
2: a Pearl a... song so <laughs> so you've actually sprung something in me so I was thinking of the Twilight Zone there's an episode of the Twilight Zone I can't remember the name of it but it's two kids who have like a troubled home life and they jump into the deep end of their swimming pool and it's like a portal to a better world, and they like go in and out of like kind of living there when trouble's at home. Okay, that...
0: so there is a Twilight Zone where a, it is a, around a river. I think it's a hangman story. Mm. Yeah. This is, okay, so our, it's we, like we did, did ghosts singing Shangri La Suite. Yeah. It was a big reference point right. on that on the what one specific called? song we had to kind of figure out. Yeah. In in the in in the reference point was a great song from Twilight Zone, and that and we watched the whole episode, and it was like I think it was like a riverboat kind of story. Okay. Um, it was like very reminiscent. Come Wander With Me. Is come Wander called. With Me is the song, right? Yeah. Or is it the episode too? Uh, episode as well. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Right. Yeah, it's that's like right. sort of similar. And was there, There was, I think in the reviews, some mentioned Twilight Zone for this. There was no crossover in material, right? I mean, No,
2: uh, because I think Twilight Zone started right around the time this movie
0: true. Um, yeah, yeah. came out.
2: Uh, so I do actually have the numbers uh, for the adjusted for the inflation on the, that 10000 that he stole. Ooh, yeah. It'd be about 98000 thousand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a sizable, life changing chunk of cash.
0: You know yeah. it is because there was a moment in the story where part of me was like, dude, you're going you're changing your whole I mean not that I sympathize with like the killer, but like it's like, dude, you're going through a big long con for how much money. Right. Yeah. You're marrying somebody. Yeah. But no, but a hundred thousand dollars, I mean yeah that, that, that starts to make more sense. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't did he know how much money the preachers going he, into it I like think he did know. Yo,
2: he knew exactly how much. Okay, yeah. Okay,
0: okay. okay. Okay.
2: It, they made it sound like everybody knew why he was there. Like, the bank robbery was a big story. That's
0: true. And even mm-hmm. the cops were talking about, like, so what do you do with that money? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. everyone wants to know what he's done with the money, pretty much.
0: There was kind of an interesting through line here and there of some of the lawmen, you know? Wasn't there an early on, like, prison guard who goes home and he's like, I think I'm done with this, like, line of work, right? What, what was that? Um, That was from The Hanging. That was The Hanging.
3: Yeah. Yeah, when they hung him. Okay, was,
0: for, for the dad. It seems sort of underrated.
3: Just because he he was doing that first family. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. And then later on, it does have that moment with the with the hangman who's like, yeah, I'll see you later. Like, he's he's not too worried about it. Yeah. End, yeah. At the end. Of because the
3: end. he's you, they've got the bad guy though. Yeah.
0: Then. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting little through line with some of the yeah, some of the law. Sure. You know, yeah. almost like a western in that way.
2: Yeah. It has a little bit of that feel. Uh, so to promote the movie, Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters did a guest shot on the Ed Sullivan Show, and they sprang up fifty-five. So Winters recounted in her autobiography how the stress of doing live television caused Mitchum to drink and caused her to become shrill and quote-unquote shrill and numb. And the two of them got into costume for the appearance, which is something that people don't really do anymore. But they dressed up as Harry Powers, or yeah, Harry Powell and um, Willa. They dressed up like that for the Ed Sullivan performance. And Mitchum drunkenly does the monologue, the love and hate monologue. And it's (laughs) they perform the whole thing like really badly. Shelly stutters and lapses into her Brooklyn accent. Uh, Yeah. Because uh, you spokes-
0: we were, we were saying it was a little bit like it was a little bit like that in the movie. We we did we found that the monologue was like interesting, but doesn't it doesn't it speak to that character being kind of like just not the best con man? It didn't seem like the most persuasive preacher sermon ever.
2: I I agree. That would not have swayed me in any way. But
0: yeah. who's this freak? You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know though. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to tell. You know,
2: like in the fifties, what preacher has his knuckles tattooed? Exactly it's degenerate
0: yeah. right yeah
2: exactly so, like,
0: playing this weird game of like almost this like town-to-town like pirate preacher who it's it's almost like in the first half or the first quarter of the movie I wanted more distrust of this guy in the community I'm like are you I don't why wouldn't you ask like what church he's from or like right. like he's acting like a weirdo yeah it's a little bit and then you flash back to like you know there'll be blood you have this weird but charismatic preacher who people just blindly believe and I do believe that you know story so I guess a little bit like that, like, you just kind of shock people out of their normal thing, and you kind of, it's believable that he would persuade people, but
2: I don't How know. How great was Paul Dano's performance in that film?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, I was flashing back to that, because it's a little bit of a similar dynamic, because it, it, again, you, I think Paul Dano serves as an antagonist, yeah, he's an antagonist of that story. Oh, absolutely. But, absolutely. So, so yeah, so you're watching this preacher, and you're kind of, in that one, you're really, you're more questioning, like, is he a man of God, or is is he, you kind of see it from Daniel Plainview's Mm-hmm. View, which is like he's actually just a businessman who's claiming to be a man of God. Right. And that's yeah. a pretty interesting, compelling. Now, I think that in this one, it's a little bit similar, but it seems like no one questions him except for, like, the boy, you know. And yeah. then on with Miss Cooper. But for a while, you're like, come on, someone call this guy out. He's being a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And actually he does, you know, uh, the dad does um, in, in the prison, which is kind of cool, but kind of kind of ironic that it's in prison. He gets the, the truth comes out. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. okay so now was, oh, the, go ahead what, what were we gonna say because I was gonna say oh. like I want to know more about the true story like you know, I want to get into it, but but oh
2: I'm uh, like two facts away from our
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: break and then Morgan getting into the meat of the true yeah. crime yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. so the last two things the money used in this film that's stuffed in her doll is Mexican 10 and a hundred pesos because they were last printed in 1914 and they were considered worthless at the time of the movie
0: oh Whoa. okay fun fact pesos are divided in Eights. So to really? get to so to get so it's a little bit of a different um, you Base? know a, yeah like it's a little bit different. So to get like a quarter, I think they would call two bits. Oh, two, all
4: right. Two,
0: so two okay. pesos would be a quarter. We don't have anything that like a quarter is not divisible by two for us. So two pesos would would be a quarter. And so two bits. You hear in old movies two bits. It was basically yeah. two pesos. Wow. Oh, all
2: right. Basically a quarter. Fun yeah. fact. <laughs> Facts. Last but not least, novelist Steven. King says this is the scariest film of all time in his eyes. Whoa! <laughs> what? Wow, okay. I don't know what to tell you. Out.
0: Okay, let's do. Okay, we don't need to. We don't. We don't need to do the full map. But yeah. he was probably a little kid, and, and it freaked him out of his gourd. Ah, uh,
2: yeah, it's I, like probably. Movie. Yeah, he, movie. he talks about it in *Dance
4: Macabre*. If you're oh, okay. a little kid,
0: and by the way, again, a cool clip with Guillermo del Toro talking about this movie. You know, certain people, especially when they're little kids, they'll watch this movie. Guillermo del Toro, I think his like father, I think got like kidnapped or arrested or something in Mexico so as a kid he had to deal with like he probably felt so closely connected you know to this story okay
3: so Stephen King was eight when this came out
0: so if he saw it then he saw it
3: it makes sense that this would have been the scariest thing ever it's like it's all about like
0: it's a monster movie but it's pretty grounded real world for like kind of a monster kind of story I mean it's a crazy combo
3: well and it's it's made for children it's
0: children's perspective to be be terrible you lose your
3: parents nobody trusts you yeah
2: okay so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment guys for the second half of the podcast and morgan's going to tell us about harry powers sounds
0: good we're not going anywhere excellent
4: I told you he throwed it in the river,
2: did he? I can hear you whispering, children, so I know you're down there. I can feel myself
1: getting awful mad. Here is all the, the passion and suspense, the heart-pounding warmth of the best-selling novel that gripped
0: millions.
4: On, wake up! Come on!
0: Superb, unforgettable performances by an extraordinary array of talent. I figured I was gone,
3: huh?
1: Run, hide in the staircase. Run, quick! Ruby, get! What do you want? I want them kids. I'm giving you to the count of three to get out of here. Then I'm coming across the kitchen shooting you.
3: The
2: combined powers of Paul Gregory and Charles Lawton brought the Kane Mutiny Court Martial to Broadway. Now the screen receives that same creative, electrifying impact. The night. Of the hunter. Welcome back to Horror vs. Reality. Morgan, tell us about Harry Powers.
5: Ooh, Harry Powers was an awful man.
0: <laughs> His name was Harm, right? His name was Harm Dirt or something? Like um, Arf-
5: I think that's a mistranslation well, on the okay. Wikipedia page. It was... Really, Herman Drinth.
4: Okay. Oh, okay.
5: Yeah, that's his um, like birth name. Uh, but whenever he moved to the United States, he changed it to Harry Powers. And Harry Powers also has a lot of different um, aliases. Like his whole family changed their name, right? Yeah, I think
3: everybody did. Yeah. Um, I like the Harry Powers. It's like... I mean, if you're gonna choose a name for yourself, it's the Homer Simpson Power, Max Power. No, Max Power, that's
5: right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he he had many aliases. Like that wasn't his only.
0: Pearson um, wasn't there. One of the murders under under Pearson.
5: Uh Maybe? yes, so. yes, all um, of Also, it was. Pierce.
0: Like kind of or, visual language, you know. Pearson Pierce, powers, yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah, one name was John Schroeder, Joseph Gid Gidow, or Gidlow or something. Uh, Cornelius Orvin Pearson. That was his most <laughs> uh, used name, and A. R. Weaver were also uh, aliases he used to uh, to post on the Lonely Hearts ads.
2: That makes me uh, think about how the protagonist of Fight Club goes by Cornelius sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, i wonder if it was related i don't know probably not <laughs>
5: um but harry powers is also known as the one of the biggest seri- or the first serial killers of the united states which i don't think is true
4: um, no
2: because what about uh what's her name um shoot a oh, woman the who, nurse the woman, no the woman who killed all her husbands uh that was shortly before that oh what was that that was but, like in the 1800s i thought Belle guinness is it Belle Guinness? Yeah.
0: I don't know about her.
2: She killed, like, five husbands, I think, in, like, the 1800s, I thought.
0: Was she seeking them out? Like, was it kind of like this guy? Um, were you kind of...
2: Uh, kind of. I mean, she definitely wanted the money from them, but she also oh. was just violent.
5: Yeah, that's right, because she was the, the butcher, right? Yeah. Yeah, she, she worked cutting up animals.
2: She, oh, she was, was like totally she'd like cleave them
5: yeah and then there was um the guy in Chicago um
2: oh uh yeah 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 the devil in the white city yeah
5: whatever is I can't remember his name off the top of my head
2: <laughs> um H H H H Holmes yeah yeah so I
5: don't know why um West Virginia is so proud to say that they had the first serial killer cause
2: they didn't they didn't
5: but um according to their news articles about Harry Powers he was the first u.s serial killer but that is not true west virginia explorer sorry to hurt your feelings you can't make that claim (laughs) there were plenty of serial killers beforehand but he was the most popular i'd say um from west virginia yeah from west virginia (laughs) Um, but yeah, Harry Powers uh, came over. Well, he was first born in Berta. Gr- I'm going to butcher this. Groningen province of Holland. It's a small village named Berta. Uh, and he was born in 1892 or 1893. But um, there's a couple of different reports for birthdays. So I'm not really sure. Uh, in 1910, he immigrated to United States to Cedar Rapids, Iowa with his family. Um, for work they were pretty poor but almost immediately he began committing petty crimes and instead of getting a normal job he did have one stable job on a farm um, but he left shortly after starting and said his boss was too hard on him So he continued the thievery life. And from around 1911, 1924, 25, he would be arrested many times. Uh, Once for robbing a liquor store or robbing someone of their liquor. Uh, He stole a car. Then he escaped from a local jail. And then he burglarized a home and then attempted to set it on fire. Um, And for that, he was sentenced to prison for one year. Um, And then... Right when he got out of prison around age 32, he moved to West Virginia and relocated to a small town called Quietdale, uh, far away from Iowa. So he wouldn't be in anybody's um, field vision like, oh, it's a criminal. So two years later, in 1927, he takes out an ad in the American Friendship Society. Those, That was the name of the publication that had the Lonely Hearts ads. That was the one he used was an American. Friendship society, and friendships. I don't, yeah, Books. friendship. And I mean, I, a lot of listeners, and you all probably know that the lonely hearts ads were mainly for people who had been widowed or like widowed, and they were looking for relationships. Sometimes, like spinsters or like older unmarried women with money would put out ads too, and just it's, try. It's
2: huh? kind of a, it's it's kind of a precursor to like eHarmony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's.
5: I mean, in his way, he was using it more like Craigslist. Well, I mean, <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> However.
0: Wait, though, I'm, I'm getting so many sort of like flashbacks to that story. Do you guys know this one? Um, this series? I know this much is true.
2: I've heard of it. I've not seen Okay. It. Okay.
0: It is dark. It's the Mark Ruffalo and Derek France directed it, and they mm. kind of adapted it from a book. Um, oh yeah,
2: it ran on HBO. What like last summer or something like that? Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Exactly. Okay. So there's okay. there's a flashback about. And again, it is it's fictional. It's fiction. But they flash back to his grandpa and his grandpa, like this guy, a Dutch immigrant. Like, but this guy's an, in in that story was an Italian immigrant. And just the kind of like shenanigans. I mean, that's putting it lightly, of course. But like people in like the new world for them, they might have just felt like there's no rules i mean you know this guy paid the price he did one year after all that like crazy you know stuff it's like it's making me think back to that story which i actually love but yeah it's that's kind of a so yeah this is like weird weird to think of this guy going from um holland to, to yeah. like to to the new world for him and just like probably apparently thinking that there's just like no laws you yeah. can rob a house and then burn it down and then Not you the can deal. just like go and steal booze from somebody yeah. and just,
2: new <laughs> world new me yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah and then just do one year in prison just one yeah. for all that it's crazy but um, yeah and around 1927 I mean he was a smooth talker too so he may have gotten out of prison early for like good behavior and he did play the whole Jesus card a lot during the trial and everything beforehand he would uh, like quote the bible reference the bible and say it was a God fearing man and it wasn't him but it was him <laughs> so he took out that ad and he actually met and married Luella B. Strother who became Luella, uh, Luella Strother Powers. Um, Strother was in her own right well off. She had a sizable amount of land with a farm and she was also the owner of a grocery store and her and him started running the grocery store together but Powers also worked at a carpet company which explained his many absences away from home and he called them business trips. So even though he was married, Powers still took out his own Lonely Hearts advertisements with all of his various aliases. Uh, while he was using the alias Cornelius Orvin Pearson, he took out a ma- ad and met Asta Eicher. She was a widow with three children and she was living in Parkridge, Illinois. So they had a bunch of letters back and forth and police uncovered that he was writing 10 to 20 letters a day day like with the same exact like letter like he would he had a template he would use and send it out
4: well
2: you know it just simply saves time yeah yeah Yeah, he had a template
0: of letters letters right he was receiving a lot of letters like a lot
2: yeah he was he was
5: receiving, like, 20 to 30 a day, which is insane, because, I mean, he bragged about having a 10-room house. He had a lot of money. Uh, He didn't have any children, so he was, like, the perfect man for everybody back then, because right. like, middle of the Depression and everything, and he's supposedly really rich. So, unfortunately, a lot of naive women would believe him, and then immediately meet him and say, yes, we're gonna get married.
0: Right, they would, like, travel with their... Live to go meet him.
5: Yeah, he yeah. actually went to meet them. Them, for the most oh, part? Okay, okay. Yeah, and then would take them with him. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, on June 23rd, 1931, he went to meet Aisher and her three children, and when he arrived, Aisher was like, oh my god, this is the love of my life, let's go away together for a little while, get married, and she actually left her kids with a trusted friend or family member, um, she ended up leaving them with her and said she was going to come back to get their kids so they could move to his parents place. It wasn't shortly afterwards that he came back just him and said he was there to pick up the children um, and after that they went to a bank and he sent one of the kids in trying to cash a check but the bank said no this check has been forged so he can't check it. So immediately after that they all vanished. Like, no one ever saw Aisha or her children again. And then, shortly, around the same time, it. some reports say the next day, but I don't know how he would travel that fast from Illinois to West Virginia, then back to Massachusetts, and then West Virginia again, considering... Yeah,
2: especially at that time period.
5: Yeah. So, I don't know. Some reports said the next day, and I'm like, I don't think that's true. Unless he, like, went to Massachusetts with all the bodies in there, but I don't think so. No. So, around the same time, a single woman without kids named Dorothy Limke uh, from Northborough, Massachusetts was writing who she thought was Cornelius Orvin Pearson. He actually had the same name for her. And after corresponding for a little short bit, he convinced her to move in with him in Iowa. She thought he was living in Iowa at this time, but he also convinced her to withdraw $4,000 from the bank, which she did. And she also sent a whole bunch of trunks with all of her belongings to Fairmount, West Virginia. And around this time when she disappears, like no one really noticed that she disappears because everybody's like, yay, she found love. But the other person that was caring for the kids, she was very suspicious. She was like, this is not like her. She hasn't written us. And then there was the Ford signature at the bank. And then whenever he was around town, he had said to other people that the family was on a trip to Europe so a lot of people were like wait he said they would go to Europe and then he told this other woman that she was going to live with his parents and so a lot of people started getting really suspicious of this man Cornelius so an investigation was started and all they had was his name Cornelius Pearson but they also knew that he was from the town of Quiet Dell because uh, he actually told her the name
2: of the place where he
5: was living. The real so- Harry
2: wasn't the greatest liar either.
5: No he was not. Um, So investigators were trying to get in contact with the police in around Quiet Dell, that area, and they didn't have anybody by that name. And so then they were checking with the postmaster around this time. They noticed that the PO box was um, not rented by Cornelius Pearson, but the PO box was in the name of Harry Powers and Luella Strother. So that's when the, started you know going in to check him out Um, they came to his house hoping he would be there and he wasn't there Uh, so there's different reports that they broke into the garage and then other reports where they had an anonymous tip so I don't know there's a lot of like lore that goes with this story so they ended up I'll use the one where they broke into the garage so they broke into the garage which unearthed four rooms underneath the ground and they had found a burnt checkbook, a bloody child's footprint, a hammer, like just some really sus stuff. Um, and yeah. then he showed up.
0: Wow. <laughs> he went, it's like the it's like the board game clue. Just find all this stuff. And the you know, like, bloody, OK,
5: something. Yeah. And they said they found a bunch of bloody clothing with all different sizes and stacks. Uh, there was a whole bunch of blood stains. There was hair. Uh, jewelry. And then some reports said there was a trap door out of this room. Mm. And so right away they were like, this is fucked up. So once Harry came back home, he was apprehended and they walked with him through the garage and he just stayed quiet. So they arrested him and all the townspeople were like instantly on this garage. Like, what the fuck is going on? So there was a lot of people that were curious. So, I mean, what else do they have to do? Like play in the dirt and eat corn. Like... (laughs) I and mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <We're> depressed. <laughs> <I'm> depressed. <laughs> yeah, be really depressed.
2: And it's the Great Depression. <laughs> yeah,
5: everyone be was greatly really depressed. depressed. Yes. <laughs> so a whole bunch of people were around watching, and with the big police presence, a young boy came up to the police and said, "Hey, just a few days ago, or I don't know how many days it was after the murders. There's a lot of different dates, so I'm not gonna spout out any dates because I'm not sure." So he says hey, he paid me a little while ago to to dig a drainage ditch that was about six feet long or six feet deep and that was accessible from the garage and so they were like, hmm, let's undig this drainage ditch that's
0: feet deep. Yeah, (laughs) they're like uh,
3: that sounds about right, you know normal drainage step Yeah,
5: that's just immediately covered up and smells like death. Yeah. Yeah, you
2: know, no big deal.
5: So they They dug up the drainage ditch with a whole bunch of people around um, and they excavated the area and they found the bodies of Asta, Greta, Harry, and Annabelle, which were Asta's children. um, You know, when you
2: said there was a bloody footprint,
5: I was pretty sure the children didn't make it. Yeah. Sorry, they didn't make it. (laughs) The dog did, though. Yeah.
0: It was drainage. (laughs) They were.
5: (laughs) Yes. So they were all found um, tied with rope and burlap sacks. And all of them had nooses around their neck, except for the little boy who was apparently hit. with a hammer. He had really significant head injuries. Um, and then they also found Dorothy Lemke with a belt still tied around her neck. That was clearly um, Powers' belt. And, um,
0: it, and it had only been a matter of weeks or days since that di- that, that ditch was uh, kind of covered up and, every- and buried?
5: I think so. Like, some reports say, like, days, like, a few days, and some say, like, a few weeks. So I'm not really sure.
0: Pressure. They were able to find it really easily.
5: Yeah, because he was arrested in August of 1931, but he had killed them around the end of June at some point. Um, okay. There's not any dates that are official because Harry Powers only admitted to crimes that were never on record. Um, in court. In the court, he remained silent. He didn't say anything, but apparently according to the police, he did have a confession. Um, but this is just it's not in court record, um, so that's kind of hard he to say. The stuff they just never found. Yeah, he he confessed during a really long interrogation. Um, if you look up pictures of him on like him arrested, he is fucked up. He's covered. Right. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has two black eyes, like a broken nose. He has. He's sitting on a trash can with his uh, pants rolled up, with no t yeah. shirt or <laughs> shoes or anything. Straight that's just like yeah. You got <laughs> and they and like one of uh, I can't remember what site or what I looked up, but it's uh, captioned with powers after his in quote interrogation. Right. <laughs> so mm, wow. there were also two mobs that tried to kill him. Right. Um. Like everyone was super pissed about this, and everyone was in the know about this, so everybody wanted to let him have it. Like they wanted to take out aggression on him for killing these women he and did. so lynch mob not exaggerated
0: yes did he get yeah. lynched or did he make it to the hangman
5: he made it to the hangman
0: yeah
5: um uh, moms did attack him twice though and he said his trial was unfair the whole time um because it was highly publicized um it yeah no so going back um they they called his murder uh garage like a murder factory uh because he had constructed an underground chamber and apparently he would put his victims it this is the story from the uh confession on uh, this was never mentioned in court or on official record but according to the police and one doctor that was present he said he would send them down into the chamber uh with a bucket with a checkbook of the woman who would uh sign away her money don't know how true this is but i mean with Dorothy Limkey's case she did withdraw $4000 from the bank and it could have very well been under coercement because there's no dates of when he took her back to West Virginia but all of them did make it to West Virginia with him alive and they were killed there okay. so on
0: that, on that exact point if you don't mind a quick pause kind of like in the spirit of that is how was it in those days in regards to like a dowry so he did marry an American woman who seemed well off and presumably he got a dowry and he got some money did he then get the idea like if I trick the Women, I will get money.
5: Yeah, and I mean, him writing those letters, he probably thought of his own wife because she was kind of a lonely person. She was childless. She was mm. in her thirties. She had a farm and a grocery store. He was just in prison. Yeah, and she didn't know that. She didn't even know he was. He went to prison apparently. Mm. Accordingly, supposedly. Um, that some people did, say she was an accomplice to it.
3: Well, but That's she. So she was living at this house where
0: the garage was. Yeah
5: right? Uh, some reports say the garage was on the farm, which was away from the house.
0: Yeah, I heard it was on the farm.
5: Yeah, which was away from where they lived.
0: Okay. I see. But in the case of the dowry, was it pretty much custom for these women, if they're engaged and marriage is looming, they will just, there's a chunk sum in it for the guy? I uh, think
2: it has more to do with when they're younger, not so much widows.
0: Not, not Yeah, because
2: okay. with the
5: widow, she had the money that was left to her from her husband, but she also needed like companionship
0: and a male figure.
5: And stuff, and don't, dowry, I mean, back then in the thirties, you don't uh, want to be a single, huh?
0: And the dowry is more about the family of this young woman to be a bride, right?
5: Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, and it was really this trusted friend, sitter, family member—I don't know. There's different reports who this woman was, uh, but she was the one who got the case started. In the other woman's case, no one reported her missing. That sucks. Mm. Yeah, they found her body and connected it to letters he had. Mm. Is what I understand.
0: I mean. A little bit like the mom in in the night of the hunter who would have reported her missing for quite a while he's kind of convinced a few of the friends like oh yeah she left right yeah.
4: right
5: yeah yeah if he wouldn't have fudged up his story so many times to the same like small ass town yeah. like yeah. it like he he went to the bank with the children the children try to forge a note i mean forge a bank note check. Or, check or whatever and then he told people they were in europe and then he said they were going to live with his parents so it's a lot of of different stories floating around,
0: quiet, and what's it called? The, the Dell quiet, quiet, yeah, Del?
5: Quiet Dell.
0: Like you know, he, yeah, he was being. It's funny that to, to, it, this stuff is kind of like that movie Psycho. It puts you, all these logistics, put you in the mind of the the, the the bad guy, the murderer. But it's funny when you think of it from their perspective, like why did you mention the city? Like just, <laughs> yeah. mention it. just don't mention that, and then they'll never trace. Well, they probably would trace the PO box still. I guess that's the that's yeah. where the law got in the way. The, the law can figure out the PO box.
5: Yeah, and too. and the fact that the other woman that died. Dorothy uh she had sent all of her belongings to this like address and she told everybody she was going to Iowa but she ended up sending all of her stuff to Fairmont West Virginia yeah so that was also suspicious like he just led a trail of blood back to him he thought maybe these people were so lonely that no one would look for them I don't know oh interesting I it I mean it may be like that like (laughs) he thought oh I can just move a town away and say I'm going to buy cigarettes and no I'll ever see me again. <laughs> I wonder
0: from his like sick perspective why the deaths needed to happen because it seemed like he was just a freaking kind of a petty thief and just kind of was probably thinking day to day and needed some money and why did these deaths need to happen? Like why did see, that? See
5: that's
2: the insurance money though.
0: Okay.
5: Yeah. That's
2: he, okay. That's what he was after.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah
2: he
5: wanted the insurance money wanted that woman's property because what is it the widow had property and then also Dorothy Limke had a sizable amount of money and I think she also had Headland, and that's why a lot of people point fingers at Luella B. Strother as a an accomplice. But she did not have to testify because you cannot testify legally or forcibly by the U.S. government, like
0: if you're married. Yeah. Um, so so, so many, she
5: never made any statements.
0: How many of these marriages needed to actually happen to get something like insurance money? He, he, the, the marriages were all going through, and well, I think the marriages used...
2: are more to like gain their trust, like okay. they fall in love with with him, they're more likely to put him in the well. But, but the also, he's
5: using the alias. I think he was just stealing one. That's, that's Short true. Short con, that's not true. a
0: long con. You that's go to a new town, and you're the husband of so-and-so, and, or a widow of so-and-so.
5: Yeah, because with Luella B. Struther, I mean he could have been in the long con with her uh, just waiting to kill her and steal her farm and grocery store. I mean, that's just my
4: perspective. Maybe.
5: But he <laughs> killed the other woman quite instantly like after meeting them, within a few days. Really? Yeah, that's true, really quickly. It, yeah, really quickly, it, and then he'd steal their stuff. Okay,
0: so in the case of the ones he killed quickly, I think I had seen in my like quick, you know, research, whatever, Wikipedia, that. so was it the case, I think you had said it wasn't really the case, but I thought they kind of came with all their stuff, like kind of with all their, what yes. I thought was a dowry, I guess it's not really a dowry, but with their money and their kids and stuff, they kind of showed up with everything.
5: So with yeah. the case of Ashta Aysher, the one from... Uh, illinois with the three kids she actually left all of her stuff because he probably would have taken all of it if it wasn't for him trying to forge that check Uh, true because immediately after that check situation went down he got the fuck out of town with those kids yeah i think it would have been different if he wouldn't have tried that i think he would have stolen all of her stuff because everybody knew that they were planning to leave to go to his parents slash europe or whatever yeah um so they said it. they left. She had all of her belongings left, and that was weird for them because they were like, she needs her things. Like, they're going all this way, but it's still packed up. So his that was own leaving impatient- more questions.
2: Yeah, his own impatient
5: greed screwed him over. Mm-hmm. But from the case of Dorothy Lemke, he had her send the stuff before he came to get her. Right. So that was a little bit different. She sent all of her stuff. But there was also a couple of women who came forward during this trial that said they were conned by him, but they weren't murdered. Uh, They were just robbed. One woman said she was drugged uh, with her drink. And when she woke up, like all of her jewelry and money and a whole bunch of other things of hers were gone and he was gone and i don't remember what name
0: he was it so was it there was there's reference of of some noose nooses and a a hammer to one of the kids what was his method of killing is it like a established like pattern there
5: strangulation uh was his main um like with all the women except for the boy um and according to his testimony or his um his not as uh, during his um, interrogation, according to the police that were doing the in- interrogation, they said that he made the boy watch. Sorry, that m- reminds me of that um, Will Ferrell skit. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> he made <laughs> Mike the boy watch. <laughs> but apparently, he made the boy watch while he strangled his mom and two sisters and then when he yelled out a really loud scream he ran he got the hammer and hit him over the head a few times so he would stop so the neighborhood wouldn't become suspicious
4: yeah I was gonna
2: say the boy had to have shown opposition for him to make it that much more gory to him yeah
5: yeah and other um he would like gas them too but eventually would strangle them um because there's like a whole bunch of different reports. Reports about this case being really blown up and then also like really straightforward like oh he strangled them and put them in. So, I mean, there's a lot of different uh you know how the newspapers were yellow journalism was rampant at this point. So, That's it's true. really like um old it newspaper rhetoric
0: articles. we are obviously lacking and they don't they didn't maybe right. know everything, yeah.
5: Yeah, cuz they said that in his uh killing chambers, he had that uh hole And he would put the lethal gas in and then he would strangle them after they were passed out. Oh, really? Um, So he did use poisonous gas, but he also did strangle as well because all of them are found with like nooses and the uh, Dorothy was found with his belt around her neck. Um, His, he, he said a lot during his confession, um, which wasn't recorded. They didn't have that capability in West Virginia in the 30s, but he did, he was quoted as saying that he got sexual pleasure from watching his victims gag to death and quote, it beat any cat house I was ever in. Oh boy, that's grim. Yeah, this is from the murderpedia page. Um,
0: cat house like a whorehouse or what's it?
5: Yes house? yeah yes,
2: a, uh, yeah
5: yeah and he had also said, you got me on five. What good would 50 more do? And that was when they said did you did you kill more than the five? wow um, He also was linked to killing a salesman but was never charged with that. Uh, but there was a traveler traveling salesman that he um, came in contact with. And he had told prison guards that he had killed um, a salesman by the name of Dudley C. White in 1928, and apparently he was murdered, but they never had anybody confess except for him. Um, so I guess post mortem, he, okay. he probably had more victims. Okay, seems likely uh, that he killed them then.
0: So, did, so which kind of raises the question of kind of like where did he come? What 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 was his background? But so he did he come from? Did he come to? America? America as a as a child. He, he was a, Sorry, he was, I
5: thought you were trying to sing where do you come from? Where do you go? Where'd you come <laughs> from? God, not uh I, I, I believe Holiday. he was in his teens, right? When they moved? Right. So he was around seventeen or eighteen when he moved to the US.
0: That yeah. was he a freaking freak out in Holland? I mean seventeen um, that's a little older than I thought. You know, that's like suspect. Yeah. There's not
5: a lot about his life
2: over there, right?
5: Yeah, there's there's not any information. I mean I I didn't read any, like, major, you know, investigative crime books on him. It's really, like, the newspaper articles at the time, Murderpedia. Uh, I looked up his own grave, <laughs> which is in Moundsville, uh, West Virginia, and it's in the White Gate Cemetery. Um What is that yeah,
0: mean, the White Gate? Uh, the it's called. Yeah, it's
5: just the wa- name of a okay. um, cemetery, and I think that may be the prison
0: cemetery. That would oh.
5: make sense. Yeah, because the White Gate Penitentiary, Okay. cemetery yeah. yeah that makes.
0: Sense. that's a little bit did he come alone do we know that if he came to the he country? came
5: with his family i believe right. yeah he came with his family for work because apparently they were very poor yeah they they wanted to come to the united states um to come over and make something of themselves um and that he was like working for a farm and that was like his first job and then he started committing all those crimes and went to jail and then he moved to west virginia away from his Family and away from all of his bad deeds. It would
0: be fascinating to see if he had like a record from yeah, from Holland. Absolutely. I mean, that's it. Seems like it's quite possibly he was at that age. Yeah, I that's... mean,
5: it's very very possible. Like he came over when he was 18. Um, so he could have had like a little rap sheet of petty yeah. crimes because when he first came over, he was just doing petty crimes like right okay, yeah like stealing liquor and burglarizing and then it and then exactly. it progressed but, very
0: yeah. fast. But, but like we said, there's so many that we don't know, right? That he ended up kind of implying or yeah. explicitly saying that we don't, that there was other ones. So if all of a sudden his whole checkered past is like worse than we thought, it's like, yeah. let's keep taking it back. I mean, where did he come from? You know? Yeah, like...
4: did he go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> In my
2: experience yeah. with serial killers, <laughs> was the ones...
0: A, a cotton. Was it a cotton eye?
2: <laughs> In my experience, the ones that are really bright, and say they've killed all these people have actually killed much less and the ones that don't talk about it and never really admit to what they've done have often killed way more than we know.
3: Yeah, interesting.
5: Yeah, and it, he made that comment like, you got me for five, what would 50 more do? Like, it doesn't fucking matter. So yeah. he, he kept his mouth shut during the whole trial. He said it was like sort of a witch hunt. He said it was unfair. They held his trial in the Old Moores Opera House in Clarksburg, West Virginia, just because his case gained so much notoriety. Neur- uh, notoriety <laughs> that like thousands showed up <laughs> in this small oh. ass town. So they eventually had to move it to the opera house and the court case lasted for five days. He did never, he never confessed only in, to prison guards apparently and to the police. But during the courtroom he maintained his innocence Um, and there were also no cameras allowed and no, it was like umbrellas. I don't know. There was some things <laughs> that weren't allowed because the the courtroom, like where they all were in the opera house was just so jam-packed with people that no one could move. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was like thousands of people piled into this yeah, courtroom.
0: It was, so yeah, it, something was closed so that it was at an opera house, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: yeah so, and It only took the jury two hours to deliver a guilty verdict and I mean, he did have multiple victims that were not killed, but that he drained their bank accounts that were on meant- the stand.
0: Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: Wow. Yeah, because the ones previously reported him, and I think he moved on to murder after he knew they were on his case. And that's why he had so many aliases. He would meet one woman, drain her bank account, leave, drugger, whatever.
0: Spanned quite a bit of the country, right? You were talking about from Illinois, Massachusetts, West Virginia. I mean, he was-
5: Yeah, and I think there was one in Virginia, too. It
0: was pretty fast. Yeah, he he was was... moving around quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. yeah,
5: and he would he would tell his wife, according to her, that he was on business trips. But I mean, also like no one really knows if his wife was involved. She's never had any like public record of her saying like she had nothing to do with it or she had no idea. She
2: just like completely stayed out of the press.
5: Yeah, she stayed silent, and she died with his name too. She never changed her name.
2: Mm,
5: wow, because her her uh, grave in West Virginia is marked with her married name.
0: <laughs> Even though she was, uh, you know, moderately wealthy and, you know, had her own life aside from him, she she just that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And
5: um, so the the trial was held in the Opera House. Um, he did maintain his innocence. He actually wrote a really long letter about how his trial was unfair and he had nothing to do with it, and left that in his pocket. Um, on execution day, he was executed on March 18, 1932, at the West Virginia penitentiary at Moundsville um they said he plummeted through the gallows and dangled for 11 minutes before being pronounced dead um which is pretty wild like usually when Sick he, neck. well they said he remained completely still after he dropped but they just fucking waited 11 minutes Weird. just to watch him they said he never opened his mouth he never really blinked he never did anything he was stoic and never said anything he didn't make any final words or anything um and they got they got five doctors to pronounce his death
0: and he just had that letter that was ready to go and he's he had certain certain claims about it being unfair
5: yeah um he he had the letter on him and one of the doctors who also helped his defense which was really weird um one of the doctors that yeah i don't get it one of the doctors like funded his defense i don't know kind of i don't know that's Ud. yeah it was really weird I uh, didn't think you could do that legally but
2: yeah it seems like conflicts of interest yeah
5: apparently back then you could I don't know <laughs> um, he he never confessed on paper or in court but um, all of his confessions were to prison guards and the police during his beating and stuff but I mean it all points back to him
2: <laughs> That's true
5: like it's clearly him but his letter was saying how how um, how unfair his trial was. Oh, where is it? I'm trying to find. I didn't write it down.
0: Because uh-huh. by, by the way, thinking of it for just for a, a minute, like a counter argument, I don't think it goes far because I don't think Dutch immigrants were like much maligned during the time. I mean, I don't think they were, you know, Irish, okay. Italian for a time were were corralled into certain like pockets of society. But Dutch were kind of original Americans. I mean, they were not exactly maligned. I don't,
2: yeah. I don't think. Yeah.
5: Uh, yeah, I don't think so either. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, for him to get out after one year for all of those crimes ah, is right, pretty yeah. insane. If it would have been a black man, he probably would have been hanged.
2: Yeah. Oh, 100%.
5: In all honesty, like I think the whiteness of him got him out of a lot of things. Sure, especially for the time.
0: And even for those days, like, you know, how white probably isn't what we think of now. Dutch was probably white then. Yeah, I mean, Dutch, from... Dutch is
2: still really white. <laughs> yeah.
0: of, course, of course, but how like back then other things maybe wouldn't have been white for them but, but sure
2: because we ha- Americans had their a very weird form of uh nationalism at that time
0: yeah and some groups were to have a hard time but I don't think Dutch would have been part of that so, I,
2: I don't think so as far as thinking
0: of his like perspective why it's like unfounded or something it's it's a little hard to see what his larger points would have been you know mm-hmm. yeah
2: yeah
5: he I mean on, on the stand he said uh that he had a miserable marriage and it drove him to seek out new brides, but he denied it in killing any of them. But, also Aisher and Limke's, uh bank accounts were cleared right before yeah. they died.
0: <laughs> and you have those, like, the, the guards, you know, giving the their, their impression of, like, confessions and stuff. I mean, that's... I wonder how, if that was a frequent claim by guards, you know? Presumably not, but that is interesting. Yeah, you, know, you gotta wonder. Like, if... Like, he
5: may have been bragging in jail, but not I in mean, front of anybody else.
0: I believe. Yeah. I'm just saying it's like easy to believe that that uh indicts him you know that that's, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah
5: yeah yeah and they had they also had um a uh, one woman what was her name uh Bessie stores and she was from New York um mm-hmm. and they had planned their wedding for the day that um Harry Powers had been arrested <laughs> she, she was actually on on the stand as well and he had emptied her bank account yeah, yeah so yes. there were many victims he was only convicted for five murders but there could have been Way more because I mean the what was fact,
0: there's a huge amount of victims and yeah for murders yeah that makes sense sorry sorry you were you were still go- still going
5: yeah like when he got married he was oh, what year was that it was 1927 and I mean he didn't even get caught until 1932 so oh, okay. he had
2: a nice little run there
5: yeah and then also that other murder that they think he did Dudley C White that was carried out in 1928 and I mean that. That could have been his first murder. It could have been, you know, his
2: like his just son. a trial run to see if he could do it. Yeah, yeah.
5: because because when he killed the first woman, Miss um, Isher, that was in June of 1931. So. Okay. I mean, it could have been a cool-down period or whatever, but I... Usually, like, your first murder... I mean, scientifically or whatever. Psycho scientifically. Statistically. <laughs> Statis- that's the word.
0: <laughs> Science mindish.
5: <laughs> yeah, so he, he could have just killed that guy and said, okay, like, I'm... Uh, and then, like, just did it again. I don't know. Yeah, maybe.
0: It makes yeah. you mind hunter, right? Okay. Like, their whole yeah. tracking of serial killers right. and, and and that there's not... I don't know, man. There's not a big takeaway, I guess, of like an overarching narrative always, but didn't they say it was, don't they end up with like, it's more random than you would necessarily think?
2: It is more well, random than you would think. Like for murders?
0: Yeah, for serial killers, for like, for people that- Well, because th- a
2: lot of them choose people who they don't know at all. Right. Yeah, that's for
5: serial killers, but like for- yeah. murder murders. Yeah. No,
2: yeah, murder murders aren't, aren't usually like very random. your husband your wife. Yeah, they're <laughs> almost <laughs> always someone that you're close yeah,
0: to. You're like, good, bring in the detectives, and you kind of think like, okay, who has the motive. Mm-hmm. But with serial killers, I think they were saying, like, it, it, I'm honestly just thinking of that show. I think they make the case that it's like, if the person, they knock on the door and if the person's home, yeah, it's on, you know? Like, it's yeah. more random stuff than just the murder that are, are motivated. Mm-hmm.
2: Sometimes, uh, we covered a case that Keddy Cabin murders, they never solved those, but they think it could have been, it was speculated if it was, like, a neighbor or if it was a drifter, because a lot of drifters came through those cabins. And that's the movie that or that's the case that is that loosely loosely inspired the strangers okay,
1: cool.
5: yeah and then like oh what is oh what's his name that that, that that a scream killer
2: oh danny um oh danny something search with an r rollins danny rollins danny rollins yeah like his were not random he like stalked He's, those girls yeah he, okay. he stalked college students yeah um but he didn't know them yeah he didn't know them though yeah he so randomly picked uh, them out and then fixated on them
0: pattern, but yeah. it's just a broad pattern okay yeah. so so was it um the, the 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 book writer the author um was it grub is that who Kind of yes. took events and just said, "All right, here's a book that I'll create." Yeah, yep, pretty much. And yeah. that, was that was that the preacher character? Was that Harry Powers or? Yes. Okay, so yeah, he, so Harry
5: go- Powell is Powell. the book and movie, but yeah, Harry Powers, the powers just the is the actual killer. So
0: it's Grubb right. who took those events and said, I'm going to create this 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 wolf in sheep's clothing kind of character.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of a trope, not really yeah. a trope, but I mean, it's based on the Bluebeard um yeah, right. story. So that's... And that was like a folk tale. Yeah, it was a French folk tale. <laughs> yeah, it's a French folk tale and people, I mean, there's been many people who have done the Bluebeard technique or whatever the fuck you want to call it. <laughs>
4: Bluebeard like
2: it's, or Black it's Widow if it's the woman spouse. doing it.
0: Yeah. Is Bluebeard killing your own is killed his own spouse? Is that what that Yes,
5: yes. yes. Yeah. He would take in women, seducing them or killing them and abandoning them. And that's it, it's turned into a verb. And it's actually um in the Merriam Webster dictionary. Oh
0: crazy. <laughs> yeah. so that's Grub. See, so and that's what we get in Night of the Hunter. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. He kind of yeah. simplified a lot of these into kind of grub must have crafted. One story out of out of this quilt of different people's lives, right? Yeah. Do you see one of the true stories as what was what, what Grub put together?
2: I think it would be the the um the woman with the two kids. Except, you know, in his tale they survive and, and in right. reality they get brutally murdered in a crawl space.
5: Right. Yeah, it's more like yeah. he it, it's definitely artistically made like it, he meets this guy in prison, but I mean that's not the case at all. He meets women um like looking for love, and that's what the the widow was doing was looking for you know love or a male thing. It is very well, you know, artistic, artistic
2: license. license.
0: I wonder why Grub and and the screeners screenwriters of the uh, story like didn't decide to go with that classifieds thing because that that is pretty compelling. You know, I mean, yeah, jail is the jail cell is kind of easier, quicker. You move along, but but yeah. I think what?
2: they wanted you to focus on the children from the beginning, and it's easier to if you have this
3: backstory for right. that... yeah, yeah, And there's totally, that hidden totally. treasure element. Exactly, it ties The kids it all. hold the... Yeah. Where exactly. They... What he wants. And it, to.
5: It, it's okay. really like reminiscent of those... <sighs> I've seen it written everywhere, but the Southern Gothic type style of there's a parable in every story. True. Yeah. Yeah, true. And then keeping that secret extended the suffering, sort of.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Ah. Absolutely. If it was a, it was, if it was a classified, um, yeah, that's that, that actually makes a lot of sense that they went with the way they did with the story. Yeah. Um, the preacher aspect. Yeah. So you were saying that um, in real life, you know, he, he, he was scripture. quoting and kind of trying to appeal to that side of maybe a jury or something you know maybe is that part of the real story
5: yeah he did actually represent himself and <laughs> which is smart hilarious. a famously <laughs> bad move yeah <laughs> he, but he really didn't say much on the stand he just maintained his innocence and said that he had this marriage that was loveless and wanted to find true love and that's why he was making the ads but he never killed he never killed them, mm. which Amazing was gravity. really his downfall i mean yeah like i I mean he was his own downfall of course totally, and yeah. all the stupid shit he did you know
0: what's an empire of <laughs> murder but yeah but yeah he blew, it. he blew it yeah he it, did. he blew, he blew it. it he really
2: really blew it
5: but I love all the pictures of him in the jail yeah have you seen any of those
2: oh yeah he looks really badly beaten
5: yeah he's this really he's like a little chunky man he's yeah. wearing tight clothes he's all bruised up His. you, you know shot, what's funny his, his nose was- is Ugh. flat.
2: <laughs> when you when you see him like dressed up, he actually looks more like Walt Spoon than he does Harry Powell. Oh. Yeah. He really does. Oh my god.
4: Yeah. Yeah, his
0: <laughs> mugshot. Okay, so not not the black eyes, but just the mugshot. He looks rough, rough Yeah. On that. Oh yeah. He's not he's not a seducer, right? So it almost been through the mail and through promises and stuff. Oh, like, that.
2: like several like one of the several of the women that lived said, "You know, he wasn't much of a looker, but I loved him." Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, with the making of the the way that it's adapted, I mean, okay, we're looking at a picture right now of him by a jail cell. He looks absolutely Pretty horrible.
3: Really rough.
0: Affleck yeah, broken hand that he's, and then his eyes are completely effed. Yeah, yeah. he's not. he's oh, not yeah. He's not doing well. Um Oh, he's naked now. Oh, yeah, there and, we go. There's okay. <laughs> sits on the trash can. Oh boy. Oh, yeah, on the
5: trash
4: uh, can. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: but yeah. He's a mm-hmm. a fella. Um, so yeah, to to create this, I guess what they they saw in that story, they just they did do a good job of creating a a wolf in sheep's clothing. That is what you see in The Night of the Hunter. It's it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, the preacher, the preacher thing. I mean, it seems basically in, invented. He's quoting scripture but i don't know there's probably a lot of guys that try to quote scripture uh, toward the end of their days i mean they're trying right sure.
5: to- yeah and he did say oh i'm a fear uh, god-fearing man but then according to some of the jailers he did say haha no i'm an atheist
4: <laughs>
5: like he he tried to have this Persona. I think it was because it was so televised, not televised, but written about. Like you know, it was, it wasn't on TV. Publicized. But, right. Yeah, it was publicized.
0: In, in an that's opera the house. That is pretty amazing.
5: Yeah. 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 And it it went from like a hundred seat courtroom to a
2: twelve hundred seat opera house. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Because it was so many people. Uh, it was a real sold out event. You can say. I wonder.
0: Um, <laughs> I wonder, like in in his in his era of you know the real guy but then also also the movie itself like if the context of what people were watching like if they all saw an obvious you know huckster like you know whereas you watch the movie now and you kind of like wonder for just a minute you wonder are we supposed to think this is like a preacher because that's almost like a that's the way it's, that's kind of a way the story could have gone where where um look what if what if he did sell himself better as a preacher like i'm thinking the movie now like what if what if it was a just straight up preacher who did a better job of convincing people without fist tattoos about, like, love and hate. And, and just, like, maybe, like, had a good alibi, said, yeah, I'm from this church or this place, and, like, did that whole lie. I wonder if, like, audiences, if it was more clear what, what they were dealing with, like, you know, at, at that time, that this guy's, like, pretty clearly portrayed to be a huckster. Like, that, and that's just, that's just what he is from the beginning. In which case, in the first quarter, first half of the movie, we're looking at kind of idiots, being like, why do you believe a second of what he's saying? Like, right including the mom the wit- the widow mom um well, yep. they're,
2: they're very portrayed as just like ignorant folk. hill people yeah. Kind of. yeah yeah
0: simple-minded folk i mean that that is kind of what i wonder if yeah that was that's us looking back at it or if that's what they thought at the time too they're like come on guys this guy's a freaking carpet yeah I mean, but at best bagger. yeah i
5: mean power's was a carpet salesman.
0: Right. Yeah. And he That's
5: killed true. his own other carpet salesman buddy. I forgot to mention this. Oh my god.
0: I think I read that. Yeah. Yeah.
5: So they worked for the same carpet
0: and then his company. F- the person who outed him, I think, was a carpet bagger who said, like, no, this guy's like a freaking shyster.
5: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And he killed him. And then everybody was like, Where'd he go? And he's like, Oh, he left. Like now I'm the manager. <laughs> but everybody believed. Him. I mean, that happened in nineteen 19- Twenty-eight, and he wasn't caught until like three years later. Yeah, right. And right. he was Incredible. never even found, and he was also never convicted of it because, I mean, they didn't have a body back then; they couldn't convict without a body. No body, no crime. Yeah, until
2: now. Well, yeah, but you know, I like the song. Yeah.
5: No body, no
0: crime. <laughs> <laughs> wait, I made it. Oh wait, so now you can do a whole case with no body? It all would go the same way?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes. It really depends on where it is and what the circumstances
5: like are.
0: This probably, like, like if you find an incinerator, then you can proceed without a body, but...
5: Well, there is one that's in Virginia right now that I'm kind of linked to in a way, but I don't want to out it, but there is a man on trial for murder and the person's body has never been found.
0: Really? Oh. Okay,
3: okay.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hey, Mike, That's suppose where- in Virginia.
3: He has family in Virginia. Um, they are in uh, like the Chesapeake area in Virginia Beach.
5: Okay, that's like two hours for me. Ooh.
0: Are they currently on trial for murder? Uh, <laughs> most of them. Are most are not. Okay,
3: Only good. one of them is, and there's been no bodies, so, <laughs> so <we're good. laughs> it's all good. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: all right. So this is about the time that we would get you guys to plug anything if you want to of y'all's and let everyone know like what you do and tell every, our audience a little bit about yourselves. And then we're going to wrap it on up. Call it a
4: night.
0: Okay, yeah, cool. I mean, ours is easy because, um, yeah, we're, we're composers. We do music for all kinds of different movies and, and TV and projects and stuff. Just find us on um, Instagram, just at Mondo Boys. And we're there, so hit us up there, and um, as you guys did, and maybe it'll take a year for us to <laughs> get smart. <laughs> but we're there, you know, and and uh, yeah, so that's where you can you can find us. Yeah,
2: yeah. I didn't mention to the audience, but I originally messaged them over a year ago, and they just got back to me about a month ago. But
3: it's all good.
0: Uh, it's so weird. Instagram's weird like that. Yeah, but I anyway, think I'm we glad we got back that,
3: to you a year on the day. Maybe. It
0: might have been close. You
3: did. Time. We thought it was, it was crazy like, that it was
4: exactly <laughs> a year.
0: It's very weird but usually that doesn't happen so and but but Anastasia (laughs) now we're talking on Instagram a little bit faster than a year so it's all good right
4: yeah
2: exactly I'm super glad to have you guys this was great you gave really good commentary and insightful questions
5: yeah no I felt like I was being quizzed it was very
0: nice though (laughs) sorry for the (laughs) thing and the dates and the ages and stuff No,
2: it it was in the best way because like sometimes we've had guests who just like barely talk and don't give a lot of feedback and we love for you to be more engaged. So you've been tremendous guests.
0: You've yeah, awoken the beast of, of murder mystery uh, that we want to know about. So thank you so much, and um, this has been an awesome experience, and we'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, heck
2: yeah! Oh yeah, you guys but are yeah. more than welcome to come back for sure. We'd love to have you. Awesome. Okay, you. maybe we could do a movie. You guys did well. I don't know if any
5: of y'all are
0: true stories. Um, true got stories. A docs coming. We got to, but they're not really. They're not really, not like really horror true. or anything. Yeah. Like the, so it's it, like yeah, there's still a couple of true stories and a couple horror but they don't really overlap like in yeah. that way one day but we'll, yeah no we'll... for sure let's yeah that'd be super fun actually we should like bring in some um filmmakers <laughs> yeah, and like people cool. that are on the other side of it and stuff and like make them divulge their secrets that'd be pretty cool Ooh. <laughs>
2: Uh, I'm in we'll
0: trick trick them to come and show up and like and then we'll like make them like give up their good stuff you know
5: and they're like oh no I didn't mean to commit uh, uh, like confess to that murder
2: (laughs)
0: oh no you must keep talking you know
2: (laughs) right, guys we will see you next episode we are covering Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door ooh Yeah. All right. So stay tuned, everyone. See you then. Bye.
3: Bye.